Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. The brand new NBC News Wall Street Journal poll will be unveiled today at 5 p.m. on Meet the Press Daily. And just a reminder, for what it's worth, there is no editorial point of view here uh, on any of these newscasts on MSNBC in the daytime. was published uh, today, and it's a whitewash of the truth. This is just another example of how... They are manipulating the news to sell their narrative, to hide the facts from you about what's really going on. So, according to the Washington Examiner, the Washington Examiner, guys, Indiana's mo- an Indiana mother was shot and killed following an argument over Black Lives Matter, family says. An Indiana mother was fatally shot following an argument with a group of people over the Black Lives Matter movement, according to her family. Jessica Doty Whitaker of Indianapolis was killed while walking with her fiancé. So, the new mother and bride-to-be was murdered over an argument over Black Lives Matter. But it doesn't really tell you that here. It says the, the, the fatal shooting occurred after 3 a.m. local time when the couple encountered a group of four men and a woman with whom they got into an argument over the Black Lives Matter movement and its messaging. Well, huh, thankfully, there is honest reporting going on out there. And that, that's not exactly how it went down. Let's go ahead and hear the real story. Okay. A young white mother was killed by Black Lives Matter mob for allegedly saying, all lives matter. National media media fully ignores it. A 24-year-old mother, there she is. She's pretty, guys. I mean, she's not like supermodel pretty, but she's girl next door pretty. And that's, you know, supermodel pretty for me. Unlike Charlottesville... Or any other violence from the right. This killing was reported so quietly that barely anyone noticed. Well, we noticed. Actually, Tim Pool noticed. And uh, if you, I actually saw this on Tim Pool while I was researching for all the shootings. So, big shout out to Tim Pool for turning me on to this story. Okay. Jessica Doty Whitaker was shot and killed following an altercation with Black Lives Matter thugs who were upset that she and her fiancé said all lives matter last Sunday. According to the victim's family, the shooting started with an argument over Black Lives Matter and language. So this is from Fox 59 in Indianapolis. This is what they said. According to the victim's family, the shooting started with an argument over Black Lives Matter and language. Eventually, the two sides separated and walked away from each other until witnesses claim the killer opened fire from a nearby bridge and ran away. So, 
They shot and ran away. What a bunch of fucking cowards and pussies. Look what they did. Look what they did. Look at that mother, that young woman, and now she's gone. It was squashed, and they went up the hill and left, we thought. But they were sitting on St. Clair waiting for us to come under the bridge. And that's when they, that's when she got shot, said the victim's fiance, Jose Ramirez. Her grandfather posted on Facebook that multiple black assailants shot her in the head. Multiple black assailants shot this woman for saying all lives matter. Why isn't anybody outraged by this? Well, I'm fucking outraged. I'm pissed. And you should be too. Is it that Black Lives Matter was involved? Or is it that it was young white adults that were the victims? Whitaker leaves behind a three-year-old son. Aww. She shouldn't have lost her life. She's got a three-year-old son she loved dearly, said Ramirez. Her father, Robert Doty, told the Gateway Pundit that BLM supporters had walked by her and her fiancé and said Black Lives Matter, to which Jessica responded, All lives matter. All lives matter. Her father, Robert Doty, told the gate, oh, to which Jessica responded, all lives matter. The BLM activists had allegedly pulled out weapons during the argument, which prompted Ramirez to do the same. This led to them backing off, but not for long. An argument started and guns came out, but they worked things out. Unfortunately, they didn't drop it and waited for them to walk back through. And she was shot in the head, Doty told the Gateway Pundit. Doty confirmed that neither CNN nor Fox News has reached out for information about the case. Despite the murder, despite the murderer still being on the loose. When asked how the family was holding up, Doty said, one day at a time is all we can do. Aww. Her sister Jennifer told the Gateway Pundit, that they were walking the canal with friends after an awesome 4th of July celebration. So, again, on the 4th of July, these fucking anti-American, anti-capitalist, commie fucking BLM thugs decided they would kill an American patriot because all lives matter, guys. Jennifer told uh, the news organization that her sister was a certified nursing assistant during home, doing home health care and getting ready to go back to school to become a registered nurse. Her son was her world, she said. The kindest heart, she had the kindest heart and was in no way racist towards anyone. Sad, guys. Wow, what do you guys think about all this, huh? Yeah, Tim reported on the story. 
And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It is the 16th of July, year of our Lord, 2020. How y'all doing? I actually held to a date. I could have podcasted yesterday, but I decided to push off, and we got a good one today. Pretty much the same timeline we have, or storyline we're going to keep having for a while here. Some violence, some stupid. We have some neat individual stupid that we're going to cover, which I'll just hit it when we get it. And I will start with our intro. I'm going to do some stuff before that block, but that's a young lady, a mother who was killed by Black Lives Matter. And I'd like to frame it there with Chuck Todd. We do not have any editorial opinion during the daytime on MSNBC. He was saying that snarkily because he was about to put out a very biased poll that is twisted to the left to show that uh, Biden is going to win all elections until the end of days. And no Republican ever can win anything. <laughs> That's why he said it. But it's a perfect presentation of our media. If that was a black mother killed by lockdown protest, it would be front page news. It would just be front page news. And then before I get to the A block. I, I, I gotta say something that really happened that's super duper funny. Um, I love my better half. I mean, 33 years, she is the light of my life, the oxygen I breathe. I mean, my best friend. She's really the only person I talk to on this planet other than my sister and brother um, on a regular basis. And I gotta admit, she watches geeky shows. So, for some reason... We got Acorn and BritBox because she likes those specials, and I I can tolerate them. They're not bad. But she tuned in to called it's a show called Time Team, and basically they go all over Britain, Scotland, Ireland, and they dig up stuff and tell you these are steps from prehistoric man and all this shit. And half of it, I just look at them and go, okay, you know, because it's like climate change. There's factual stuff there, but you got to connect the dots you gotta have a little bit of okay this is what's happening so sometimes when they say stuff i just look at them like well that little piece of flint could have just been crushed by the ocean i mean you found it on the ocean but no it was a prehistoric man fashioning it and tooling it and then he touched it up and got it sharper and we're talking like a fleck of sand you know what i mean it's like that big a thing but anyway i'll watch it it's interesting. But during it, I said, you know, with everything that's crazy, because we're doing our woke today, and there's a whole, there's more things that are racist. I wonder if archaeology is racist. And boom, there are articles. Oh, fucking hell yeah. Decolonizing. Too white. I mean, there was a whole genre of archaeology, paleoarchaeology, and every form of archaeology is racist. And I just said it as a joke. But that's how stupid we are. But the American people aren't stupid, and we're starting to figure it out. I wanted to hit again June. 3,931,607 background checks. The all-time record ever was in March. 3,740,688. So that is a shitload of guns. Just a shitload of guns. Because the American people aren't buying what Chuck Todd is selling. They see violence. 
I mean, I don't even go feed the stray cats without a gun now. There was a couple incidents in town. That, you know, of course, because we can't report correctly. Nobody knows, but white person got fucked up. That's all I'm going to say. And do I think it's a roving band of black people going all over the country beating white? No. But young people that are disenfranchised, well, you get what my son got. Which we talked about on the last podcast. You, you get issues. Because all they hear all day is, fuck whitey. Fuck whitey. And it's coming from whitey's mouth. So, of course, some person's going to fucking lose their shit. We spent four fucking years saying that Trump's words are violence. And so when anything goes wrong in the country, they say it's his fault because he talks violently. But yet you're on TV saying Ameri- all white people are terrorists and all punches aren't morally the same and these are peaceful protests and a brick is just it is just words for a person that is just beat down from life and racism. So what do you fucking expect? And then we have BLM. So we have the five radical goals. These articles are everywhere now because people who aren't Moonbat fucking tree-hugging dumbasses coated in patchouli oil because they don't shower anymore, I've started looking things up. One, BLM seeks to abolish the traditional family. We know that. Marcellus Wiley told us. Cancel capitalism. Disallow anyone from transcending the superficial categories of race and color. According to BLM, one is hopelessly confined to the superficials of race and color by supposedly overarching patriarchal strictures and structures. This is a classic Marcus trope promoted in the works of Michael Foucault. Four, BLM marginalizes many shared values of minorities and immigrant communities. Because those don't count. Five, BLM is explicitly Marxist in its orientation. So these people are not about George Floyd. They're not about police brutality because they know it's not real. It's not a real thing. What happened to George Floyd was tragic. It was horrible. The cop is being dealt with. Saying it's rampant is a lie. Unless you want to say it's against white people because then you'd have a point, but you don't. And then we have a lot of these coming up. Um, no, cancel culture isn't a threat to civilization. This lady, well, let's just read the beginning. A cacophony of new voices are just making it harder for famous and powerful people to blather on about all sorts of things. No, it's not the surging pandemic, mass death, or catastrophic unemployment. It is, if you believe Donald Trump and some of his critics, the end of free speech and the advent of cancel culture. See how they do this? They cancel people for decades, but the moment it's flipped on them, oh, fucking to the hell, no, we ain't dealing with that shit. No. There's no cancel culture. They're weaponizing cancel culture. This is ridiculous. And right when this article comes out, and I had to put this up front before we got into just two horrible incidents that the media just fucking ignore. 
Ex-New York Times editor calls out unlawful discrimination she endured from the paper. This is Barry Weiss. She can't be more liberal, boys and girls. This is how crazy this has gotten. Remember, this is the paper that said Tom Cotton's op-ed was violence to black people because he said it is legal to deploy troops to stop fucking riots. But these people don't want them to stop. Hell, yesterday, I, I don't have it on the show, cops and clergy did a march against violence. Their cops getting fucked up with people hitting them with... There was a, van, uh, a SUV handed out fucking baseball fat, bats. But, of course, nobody in New York wants to go find out who owns that fucking vehicle. Who's financing this shit? Keep saying it. Who's financing this? So here's her, her screed. Um, but as of Tuesday, her time as staff editor and writer ended with a public resignation letter that called out the so-called paper of record for pushing ideological orthodoxy, kowtowing to Twitter mobs, and internal new McCarthyism. Basically, in, in, in this, it's what I've been saying forever. Other than violence and facts, our media it really doesn't look for stories anymore. They sit in their fucking safe zone so they can't get the COVID and not get attacked by the mobs like Brian Seltzer. And they pick shit up on Twitter. And then they talk breathlessly about it. The last podcast, that Seltzer one about um, uh, Tucker Carlson talking about Duckworth. Oh, he was just pearl clutching. And he was probably in the safe zone when he fucking found it. It wasn't the left getting upset about it. More well, other than Media Matters, and they all follow Media Matters. Uh, the left version of the MRC, but not based on facts. It's bullshit. And, and they they don't really find news. That that story was a right story that was being pushed on Twitter. So it was like the perfect juxtaposition of what I talk about on the show, that they see this stuff, they just ignore it. Because it doesn't fit the agenda they want to drive. Which, once again, that's why I always do our intros or this little section here to frame the podcast. So I can go back and say, hi Chuck Todd. Yeah, there's no bias. Anyway. Uh, Captain on Twitter mob, so she exposed an unlawful discrimination in a hostile work environment she was subjected to by her peers, all because she didn't tell the liberal line. It is a sadness that I write to tell you that I'm resigning from the New York Times. Uh, she explained that the joined the paper with gratitude and optimism three years ago when the Times claimed it was making an effort to make up for not covering the country properly and getting blindsided by the 2016 election. But the lessons that ought to be have followed the election, lessons about importance of understanding other Americans, the necessity of resisting tribalism, and the centrality of the free exchange of ideas to a dem- democratic society, has not been learned, she lamented. Like something out of Orwell, Weiss noted that the press and Times particularly viewed truth not as a process of collective discovery, but an orthodoxy already known to an enlightened few whose job is to inform everyone else. Oh my God! No truer words have ever been spoken. Describing it as a performative space, Weiss recounted how the Times had adopted the ethics and morals of Twitter and it allowed the mob to become an editor. And that's so true. We, we've proven on the show. They have yanked articles. They have changed headlines. And now online versus the paper, the paper's more journalistic. Online, 
It is just clickbait for the fucking rabid mob. Dark and divisive. You must type that every time Trump speaks. And it goes on. Twitter is not on the masthead of the New York Times, but Twitter has become its ultimate editor. As the ethics and mores of that platform have become those of the paper, and paper itself has increasingly become a kind of performance space. Stories are chosen and told in a way to satisfy the narrowest of audience. The 18% I keep talking about. Rather than to allow a curious public to read about the world and then draw their own conclusion. I was always taught that journalists were charged with writing the first rough draft of history. Now history itself is one more ephemeral thing molded to fit the needs of a predetermined narrative. This is a liberal. She hates Trump. Some of the more disturbing experiences... Come on, computer. Oops, sorry. What in the hell is wrong? came from her paragraphs detailing the open harassment she received. My own forays and wrong think have made me the subject of constant bullying by colleagues who disagree with my views. Times journalists would call her a Nazi and a racist, while at the same time flashing the anti-Semitism the papers become famous for. I have learned to brush off comments about how I'm writing about the Jews again. This is why they don't cover Jews being beat down by young black people in New York City. My work and my character are openly demeaned on company-wide Slack channels where masthead editors regularly weigh in. There, some co-workers insist I need to be rooted out if this company is to be truly inclusive one, while others post axe emojis next to my name. Still, other New York Times employees publicly smear me as a liar and a bigot on Twitter with no fear that harassing me will be met with appropriate action. They never are. There are terms for all this. Unlawful discrimination, hostile work environment, destructive discharge. I'm no legal expert, but I know that this is wrong. Showing up for work as a centrist in an American newspaper should not require bravery. She went on to describe how the liberal ideology would dictate what they could publish, often leaning towards bashing Trump. Part of me wishes I could say that my experience is unique, but the truth is the intellectual curiosity, let alone risk-takers, is now a liability at the times. Why edit something challenging to our readers or write something bold only to go through the numbing process of making it ideologically kosher when you can assure ourselves of job security by publishing our 4,000th op-ed arguing that Donald Trump is a unique danger to the world? And so self-censorship has become the norm. What rules that remain at the times are applied with extreme selectivity. If a person's ideology is in keeping with new orthodoxy, they and their work remain unscrutinized. Everyone else lives in fear of the digital thunderdome. Online venom is excused so long as it's directed at the proper targets. The paper record is more and more the record of those living in a distant galaxy, one whose concerns are profoundly removed from the lives of most people. She chided, noting how the paper has praised Soviets, doxed teenagers, and compared America with a Nazi Germany. But Weiss suggested that not everyone at the time thought that way, saying that young writers and editors were forced to keep their heads down and be entrusted of their editors. Too wise to post on Slack, 
They write to me privately about the new McCarthyism that has taken root at the paper of record. As she wrapped up the letter, Weiss accurately pointed out, America is a great country that deserves a great newspaper. And recall the maxim of former Times publisher Adolf Oaks to make all the columns of New York Times a forum for the consideration of all questions to public importance and to the end to invite intelligent discussion from all shades of opinion. I tell you what, this is not surprising for those that have listened to this show. There's too much documentation of them changing everything because 18% of the country didn't like it. And I think that's where it comes from when you really break down this push and groupthink and the same op-ed everywhere, the same report, dark and divisive. He is starting a culture war. That's why all this is universal. Because you can't say anything opposite of that. The real fascists are the left. And how do I know that? Well, let's go into one of them. We're going to do our show a little different today. I wanted to cover Jessica Doty up front. Excuse me, Jessica Doty Whitaker up front. And then go back into a military corner really quick, because we don't do that. And then come back into when a woman talked about her dead father who got ambushed. And she got attacked by the mob. Because it kind of ties into this New York Times piece. This story is the epitome of what is wrong with this movement that is supposedly about peace and equality. So the story goes, have you listened to that intro? They got in arguments and she decided to do the blasphemous statement, all lives matter. Guns were drawn on both sides. They separated And an African-American shot her on a bridge. He came back and killed her. The comments on Facebook were just brutal. Racist Rachel's pushing daisies and the streets are a little safer. Eric Albany. Can't feel bad when you use a racial slur and acted a fucking fool. All Lives Matter is a racial slur now. Black Lives Matter, the rest of you are next, added another individual. Party for safer communities, remarked another. Maybe she should have thought about her son before she opened her racist fucking mouth. This was on Facebook. It's all here. Um, Can't feel bad for you when you used a racial slur. Uh, party for safer communities. I'm never going to get to hold her again. Her mom, Anita Doty, told. I just blah, blah, blah. I got some bad news for you, Arnie. You are the one responsible for raising your daughter to be a racist. This is that orthodoxy. This is why I'm not going to read the rest. It's just fucking just... It is what the left is right now. They... 
on a memorial on a Facebook. And it's all allowed to say that's free speech on social media. All of it is groupthink. It is beyond groupthink that you can ever have. We have now once again said, if you say all lives matter, you're a racist. That is racist words. It's just racist to say those things. It will not be accepted because this is a fascist movement. It is McCarthyism. You must say what we tell you to say. And if you don't, we will ostracize you. And it's a huge movement on social media, and I I did it on the show myself, or else. They are so emboldened by a media that is supporting every violent thing they do. Now, once again, hi, Chuck Todd. By not talking about this, by not talking about the black guy who killed the gay woman to defuse the race aspect of a murder in Seattle, you're, con- you're, you're doing it on purpose. You want this violence. Because, as I've said a million times during this whole thing, the media want this. The left needs this. This is how they win. They win by a divisive, hateful, fired-up base that's going to vote for a candidate they don't want. They're condoning it. And you can't get away from it. Everywhere you go, it's there, even in the military. So once again, we, we are stuck in a place that the left believes it can do whatever it wants. So it goes into the military, and for those who have been in the show a long time, military EEOC is a fucking joke, too. You, you, you always have to have a female black person. I'm sure now it must be a gay black person. I mean, they're, they're aligned with the left. Um, they serve in the military, and yeah, they, they still serve and respect stuff, but th- their politics don't go away. They're about the only people that can have politics in the military is the EO department. But a graphic for the U.S. Army Operation Inclusion site saying, Make America Great as an example of covert white supremacy. And they have this little pyramid. Those things below the black bar are socially acceptable or covert white supremacy, including such things as Make America Great, White Silence, and calling the police on black people. Yes, saying mega is covert white supremacy. Christina Wong. 
A U.S. Army employee on Monday sent an email invite to likely thousands of military and civilian members for U.S. Army Operation Inclusion listening tour, which included a graphic that said, saying mega is evidence of white supremacy. The Army said it was sent as an error, and they, and they retracted it. They, they pulled it back. It's no longer out there. Things to think about. And pretty much the top of the pyramid is all fucking McCarthyism. They even have pictures, I can't breathe. That, that, that was on this flyer. Dean, this was a government employee using their position of metal in political and social culture, which last I checked was illegal. I doubt this was an error. Everybody else, court-martial this motherfucker. Court-martial him. And that's what should happen. They should all be court-martialed. Anybody had to do this. It came from Redstone Arsenal and went army-wide and saying, Mega, make America great, is white supremacy. I once again say, it, this is is probably, of all the things, yes, you know, the people have been beaten, got it. You know, there's, there's been some bad fucking shit going on. But the ability to disparage an entire political movement by their slogan, do you think anybody could say, build back better, which is the dumbest fucking motto I've ever heard? That's Marxist. You can't say that. That's Marxist. If you see somebody in a Build Back Better t-shirt, you need to kick them out of wherever they're at. They should not be in the public space. Because Build Back Better stupid. <laughs> That's what you should say. But do you think that would be acceptable? Hope and change? Those are mottos. Every fucking campaign ever has done it. But because you want to say... He's a white supremacist, even though he's not. And you want to twist every word he says into being supporting of the Confederacy. Some idiot in the army did it. And I wasn't shocked. But I gotta, I gotta admit, I was not shocked. Because as I said, this, this is the left. They believe, regardless of regulations or anything, they can do what they want. And later on in the show, it's, federal, man. It's huge. NASA's done it. There's a, there's a guy who's earned $3 million pushing white fragility on federal workers. And nobody's done anything about it because they didn't fucking know what was happening. To other military news, because I once again, I know this is a weird place to put it in the middle of your A block, but I... Man, I don't get to cover the military. I should just do a show on the military. I say it all the time, but I just don't. 17 sailors, 4 civilians injured in a fire aboard the USS Bonhomme Richard in San Diego. It was pretty big news, and then it turned into the environmental impact of it. Yeah. Four amazing military aviation technologies we'll see in the near future. Good story. Going to read it. Well, there won't be any grunts manning the rotors of $6 million military aircraft anytime soon. There still could be some qualified to fly them. The secret is an advanced drone technology that makes a task as easy as flying an off-the-shelf quadcopter back home. All they need is a tablet. If it sounds outlandish, Marine Corps infantrymen have already flown a UH-1H Huey after a few hours of instruction using a tablet and a laptop computer. That's fucking cool. In 2017, spearheading 
the drive to autonomous helicopters and other technologies is the innovation team at Sikorsky Aviation, led by Igor Cherpinsky, director of Sikorsky Innovation. I get to run a group of very talented people who go out and design all sorts of new things, aircraft software ideas. We kind of serve as an incubator for new and exciting things. Chapersky's team not only develops the ideas behind these innovations, it designs and builds flying prototypes, which is cool. So, here are the four things. One, the fastest helicopter. In 2008, Sikorsky Aviation created the world's fastest helicopter, dubbed the X-2, as capable speeds greater than 300 miles per hour, shattering the previous record of 249, said by the Westland Lynx. That technology is being used today to develop the Army's S-97 Raider, which will be fucking fantastic when we've covered it. Loyal Wingman Drones. This is a program designed to deploy unmanned autonomous drones in tandem with F-35 Joint Strike Fighter, giving the F-35 pilots an unmanned wingman in the air. I'm not going to read the rest, but that's pretty fucking freaky. Easy-to-fly autonomous helicopters. Many pilots will tell you that helos are not the easiest machines to fly. In fact, many also say they're constantly fighting the helicopter because it's a machine that wants to crash. How much of an exaggeration that is will will be known only to helicopter pilots who have actually manned it. Future helicopter pilots may never get in the cockpit. Sikorsky has developed an autonomous flight control system called SARA. So easy to learn and use that it allows first-time pilots, that is, people who have never flown, take the helm and fly the son of a bitch. Future vertical lift. The FVL program is an effort to transform the Army rotorcraft fleet. Five designs are intended to completely replace the UH-60, the AH-64, and the CH-47. Um, utilizing the technology developed by Sikorsky's innovation team to develop the X-2, Sikorsky introduced the Raider X and the SB-1 Defiant. So, some neat, neat technology, especially in helicopters. And if you really think about it, Dude, the Blackhawk was out in the 80s, so we're talking a 40-year-old airframe. It, it doesn't look that way to us, but it is. And then I wanted to cover, and that's kind of why I got excited to put it up front, a movie that I knew about, but I didn't see listed for a long time. And it is based on the Jake Tamper book, The Outpost. And this weekend, it released on VOD and crushed everything, even trolls. And that's kind of surprising, especially with the whole 4th of July, America sucks bullshit that we just went through. This really kicked ass. Here is the trailer for it and a five-minute vignette on The Outpost. I purchased the movie the day it came out. I watched it. It is really, really good. Got to admit, I flinched a couple times. And I realized, looking at those mountains, no wonder I'm so broke, Dick. Do you remember what happened? When? During the battle. Welcome to the dark side of the moon, gentlemen. Aren't we supposed to be on top of the mountain to win this thing? Our job is to separate Taliban and the ordinary people. How do we do our jobs and stay safe? Respect 
keeps us safe. I wouldn't trade this for anything. Look at us, band of brothers. Keep me in your prayers, okay? Trust me, babe, I quit. I love you. We're gonna win by getting their hearts and minds. We want their hearts and minds, and they want our blood and guts. Sorry, pal, but that's life at Camp Keating. Every time they take a pot shot at us, they're figuring us out. When the big one comes, I'll have us dialed in. The Taliban's are here! Hurry up, Taliban! It's the big one, saddle up! Everybody fall back, enemy in the wire. I'll hang back and provide cover. We need to retake this camp. We don't have any air support, the manpower. Our men are trapped up there. Our ammo depot is 40 yards away. There's everything we need to stay in this fight. Let me do this, sir. Let's show them some love with the 120s. You all right, mate? Come on, throw arms around me. You're not gonna die, okay? RPG! Red platoon! We're taking this bitch back. October 3rd, 2009. On that day in the Battle of Kamdesh, Bravo Troop 361 became the most decorated unit of the Afghanistan war. Including two men who received the Medal of Honor. And it should be a day that every American knows. It should be a part of American history. The story of the outpost is important because it actually happened. American service members were placed in the worst tactical position possible. In a real garden of Eden. Gotta be shit, man. They were asked to defend an outpost that could not be defended. And they did it. Somehow they, they did it, and they did it for a very long time. It's men trapped in this really isolated place where it's very hard for anybody to get to. It's almost like they're on an alien planet somewhere. Rod's intention was to make the film as accurate as possible and not glorify anything, whether that's the actors or the sets or the wardrobe. And I needed veterans in this film. I need veterans to play the soldiers. We had all those first-hand eyewitnesses that were invaluable to get to the bottom of the very similitude and the accuracy of the battle. When I first arrived on set, it brought back a lot of memories, but they were clouded and flickered. Definitely the emotions were there and an eerie, kind of off-putting feeling. It was like walking into a memory you know, I mean, I slept over there um, for a year of my life, a very important year. Being on a set in an environment that's so realistic, it's, it's very nostalgic. And to be able to play myself, I'm very grateful that I'm still alive. And it's almost an obligation, I feel, to, to bring authenticity to this film. Having these guys here telling us what was real and what is close, but if we shifted this, it would be more accurate, has been, has been incredible. I had to continue to remind myself that this wasn't in Afghanistan. Rod described how he wanted to make this film, moving away from a sort of glamorous view of war into a much more realistic sort of documentary feel. 
I decided to do something risky in this film, and, and that was that I was going to shoot as many scenes as possible, especially in the battle, in one shot. And Lorenzo really knows how to design the shot so that in the one you still get your wide, medium, and close-up. At the end, it really gets the audience connected to what's happening and connected more with the characters. To be inside of a shot that doesn't cut, that doesn't let you breathe. Ruby's coming in! That's the way combat can feel. And it's not easy to do. So when you can actually do it and do it right, there's nothing short of amazing. I actually became emotional because it reminded me of how I felt on that day at that time. Everything feels very important, no matter what your part is in the scene. It is interesting. I've never made a movie quite like this. Rod, he wanted to really portray these guys not as superheroes, but just showing that normal guys would saddle up and do extraordinary things. That's another thing that was great. Rod's a veteran. You sensed a lot of experience from him, not a lot of... Warning shot! Panic. You know, and this is, there's a lot of panic. There's machine gun fire, there's bullets flying, there's guys running. You have to be focused, you have to know what you're doing. Everyone has to work together in unison. It's just been sort of like fun to recreate this thing together. You start to feel like a little platoon. I think this film is going to be so much more than just a Hollywood picture. You take a lot of pain and suffering that happened and you turn it into art. The story is told at all doesn't just tell the story of our soldiers on this day at Cop Keating, but the story of soldiers across time and battles. is almost like a, a tribute but it's also an education for the world of what happened here on that day hey run platoon i need volunteers we're taking this bitch back great movie you really should see it and that even beat freaking hamilton yeah that, that's how good that video broke out to other military news eight marines earned valor awards or daring afghanistan healer raid with hours of close combat a marine master sergeant blasts his way into a building filled with at least eight taliban fighters in an attempt to save an afghan comrade during an hours-long fight in which he braved point-blank gunfire and grenade blast earning him the nation's third higher valor award the master sergeant was one of the eight marine raiders recognized by marine force special forces command for their actions during the april 10th 2019 mission in southern afghanistan he received the silver star three other raiders a major and two staff sergeants award bronze stars of these for the raid and i am just in awe when you read this article look it up then those dudes it's like something out of a goddamn movie it is really good 
There was a suicide bombing in North Afghanistan causing casualties, but I've not got a report, but unbeknownst to our media, who have not covered it, we've had numerous deaths. An airman died after a chute opened while he was still in the plane. That's fucking horrible. And then there were three casualties, and at this time I usually play the background music, but I'm not going to. Army First Lieutenant Joseph Trent Albaugh, 24, of Folsom, California, died July 12, 2020, in a non-combat incident in Kandahar Province. He was part of 2nd Battalion, 44th Air Defense Artillery Regiment, out of Fort Campbell, and I didn't even hear it locally. PFC Alexander Blake Class, 20, of Wilhelmina, Oregon, died July 4, 2020, in a non-combat-related incident, 2nd Battalion, 162nd Infantry Regiment, 41st Infantry Brigade Combat Team, the unit is part of the Oregon National Guard, and Army Specialist Vincent Sebastia Abara died July 3rd, 2020, serving during Operation Freedom Sentinel in Farah, Afghanistan. He was from the 22nd Infantry Regiment, 1st Brigade Combat Team, 10th Mountain, Fort Drum. God be with their families. And why don't we know this? Longest war ever. We don't hear about it. So, there's my... I wanted to talk about the outposts. I threw some military in the A block. I'm going to go to a music break. We're going to come back in to our second horrible fucking leftist or evil fucks. Ismail Chavez's daughter. Yeah. He was killed by these peaceful protesters. And then she was treated like shit.
to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. Move aside and let the man go through. Let the man go through. Move aside and let the man go through. Let the man go through. Bullies don't win. And I said, baby, they don't. Because we're going to go in there we're going to impeach them all. The biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized right up to the right. All punches are not equal morally. This nigga right here, he act gangster because he got a badge and a gun. Fuck out of here. Y'all niggas is pussy, bro. Y'all wildin'. Yeah, nigga. Y'all niggas is wildin', bro. Look, bro. Look, bro. Look, bro. Look, bro. What's up with you, bro? What's up with you, bro? What's up with you, bro? Yeah, fuck him up, Rata, fuck him up, nigga. Fuck out of here. Fuck out of here, nigga. Fuck out of here, nigga. Fuck out of here, nigga. You pussy, nigga. Yeah, hold that, nigga. Yeah, hold that, nigga. Yeah, hold that pussy. Yeah, hold that pussy. Yeah, hold that pussy. Yeah, hold that pussy. Bro, Rata, get out of here. Yeah, get out of here. Yeah, look, you smoke, nigga. They smoked you, pussy. You just got smoked, pussy. They just smoked the shit out of you. <laughs> they just smoked you, pussy. Nigga just got smoked. <laughs> oh, shit. Mira, vale! Let me get it! The fuck out of Y'all niggas is pussy, nigga! Suck my dick, nigga! Suck my dick, nigga! Suck my dick, oh y'all niggas, suck my dick, nigga! Fuck out of Y'all niggas is all pussy, nigga! NYPDK, you heard? NYPDK, nigga!
we, she's cursing. We got little kids out here. She's still cursing. This is the this is the face. This is the face of mental retardation. Look at it. That's the entire that's the entire problem with this right now. Is they're out here right now trying to act a fool. That's all they want to do. That's all they want to do. That's all they want to do. See, here we go. Here we go. See, here we go. Here it is. Here it is. Here it is. See? They create. They create. They create the unrest. And then they get upset when someone actually speaks up for themselves. That's the problem. See, we got more people coming around right now. That's all they want to do. That's all they want to do. This is not this is not what we should be doing. This is not how we should react. This is not how we should be carrying ourselves. Look at this. Little white dude over here right now with this finger up in the air. Thinking he's doing something. Look at this. I was trying to have I was just enjoying my evening until these people showed up. And now they've ruined a peaceful evening. We had live music out here. They're ruining this evening just because someone actually spoke up for himself. This guy, now they're throwing shit. Look at this, now they're throwing shit. See, here we go. Dallas Police is out here. Yep, Dallas Police. Now Dallas Police has to be out here doing this because these people can't behave. Because they literally, look, look what they're doing, look at this. This is, this is Marxism, cultural Marxism to a T. They did not come out here to be heard, they came out here to create a scene. You gotta realize what this what this really is and call it out what it really is. This is not the answer. Out here at this restaurant tonight, we had plenty of white people, plenty of black people out here all having a good time. And they came out here to create the scene. And now they're acting like they're the oppressed people. That was our violence bumper. And in there you get an officer gets put in a chokehold. Yeah. Media saw it, ignored it. Uh, cerebral palsy dude attacked a guy had cerebral palsy in his car, beat the shit up. Uh, police released video of thugs blocking emergency vehicle. Um, BLM harasses a restaurant. A bunch of other shit, but my favorite is literally you hear a bunch of commotion. I know it's hard to do on audio. A guy had a sledgehammer, a hand little sledgehammer, right? And he's by the door of a uh, police, police precinct in Portland. And he's about to come out and he starts, the the officer luckily grabbed the hand and of course he's wearing a Kevlar and was going to hit him in the head. And how did the mayor of Portland act? This is once again what we're, we're talking about. We started with Barry Weiss. She kind of bookends this. They're so scared, man. Everybody just group think. Today, the acting Secretary of Homeland Security has to speak with me about the demonstration activity in Portland. He expressed his concern about ongoing violence and asked how his agency can help. I told the acting Secretary that my biggest immediate concern is the violence federal officers brought to our streets in recent days and the life-threatening tactics this agency used. We do not need or want their help. So, in short, go ahead, mob. Do what you want. Because, you know, I don't want you fucking up my fucking house. But crime is through the roof. But before we get it, I got to go into this story. And then we're going to go through the total damage. I mean, this is just insane. 
No words. Leftist attack officer Emil Chavez's daughter for honoring her father after his death with a hashtag Blue Lives Matter thread. Officer Emil Chavez is one of two police officers who were shot and killed in McAllen, Texas, not even 24 hours ago. Two officers in McAllen, Texas, were shot and killed Saturday when they walked up to the door of a home where assaults had reportedly taken place. Emil Joe Garza's junior 45, an eight-year veteran of McAllen Police Department, and Ismail Chavez, 39, a two-year vet, were killed before the gunman fell he shot himself. They go to the door of the resident, person who was suspect of the incident, met our officer at the door and shot both officers as they stood there. Neither Garza or Chavez had time to radio for help or pull out their guns. Chavez's daughter took to Twitter to write a thread honoring her father. And in both loving and heartbreaking words, cannot describe the pain, but I'm glad my dad is at peace. You were an amazing man, and anyone who ever came across you knew that. I'm going to miss you so much. You died doing what you loved most. You died a hero. I love you. Ma'am, please don't use Blue Lives Matter. Next time, I'm sure your dad was a wonderful man. But the hashtag is used majority by anti-Black Lives Matter people. And I'm sure you don't want you to have on his memory to be associated with that. Sorry for your loss. But that's horrible. LOL, you spell the fun wrong. I'm very sorry for your loss. It's always sad to lose a parent. However, he didn't make a choice to be a policeman. Knowing any day it could happen, that is what the job was. I'm very sorry for your loss. I'm sure he's a great man. Unfortunately, blue lives are not a thing. I don't agree with you saying blue lives matter, only because it implies that there's a system that oppresses cops and finds them at the receiving end of criminal justice system that fails them every time. I'm sure it was a good one, and the problem is that we need more good ones. Look, I'm a BLM activist, but let's put politics aside. She's mourning the death of her father. Let her do that without having to read comments saying, he chose it, that's what he gets, that's awful, and no one should have to go through that. That's not violent speech. There was ones in there that I refused to read because I'm taking a different approach now. I'm sick of reading their fucking filth. Too bad you didn't die too. And that's allowed on Twitter. That's that's not hate speech. There's nothing wrong with that. The fuck is wrong with you? They're oppressed. Yet the worst part about all this, when you look at the people saying this, it's not black people. It's white liberals. They're fucking horrible. And it's McCarthyism. You will say what we tell you to say. They're a bunch of goddamn fascists. So let's see what these great people have done. I stumbled across a, a, an article from Minneapolis. A list of buildings damaged, looted in Minneapolis and St. Paul. The list will be updated as more reports come in. Civil unrest in Minneapolis-St. Paul's left a trail of burning out buildings, smashed windows, and looted stores across Twin City. Here are the report of damage or looting that have come in since Wednesday evening. This story will be updated as more reports come in. Now, this is from um, May is June. I went to copy and paste it, but it's so long, I just decided to count. In Minneapolis, 
205 buildings damaged or destroyed. St. Paul, 52. Twin City Suburbs, 22. Because they went to the burbs after they burned everything else down. And the most hilarious part of this, and I say hilarious because it's hilarious, it's all the shit they need. Gas stations, Walgreens, Dollar Generals. These motherfuckers fucking hate shopettes. You know, little gas stations. They just fuck them all up. I don't know where you're going to get your gas and your pack of cigarellos. I don't know where you're going to go. Because you don't got a place to go no more. But they're still going to defund the police. And at the same time, I'm getting this article. Minneapolis Park Board takes first step towards allowing women and transgender people to go topless. So instead of rebuilding, we're going to have dudes with fake tits walking around in our parks. Naked. Yeah, butt naked. That'll fix social justice. Then I decide, well, let's look at New York City. 450% of businesses damaged during George Floyd protests. Philly, 2.5% of all buildings that were black-owned got destroyed. That's the only article I could find. New York's 450. Philly, hey, black people got fucked up. Let's fix it. Go shop at Blue Souls. It's destroyed. I don't know how you can do it. Philadelphia Opportunity Industrialization Center. Yeah, you can't get a job now because you broke that shit. Silver Legends, Smoking Things, AOK Hair, Baldwin Fine, Southern Jazz Kissing, Green Soul Restaurant. Yeah, they're gone. They don't exist anymore. And Philly got fucked up, but you can't find an article because after they did Do Buildings Matter? Because they were fucking up the city. They New York Times that shit and didn't do an article. But the New York, I, I gotta hammer that home. For fuck's sake. Think about that. Our media, alright, our media knows this. They live there. 450 businesses affected by the peaceful protest. And I air quoted. No films, no videos, no pictures. The only thing we've had is that little twat Brian Seltzer talk about, I got my garbage can back. And I gotta ask, is that journalism? Is that facts first? Democracy die in the dark? Is is that what journalists should be doing? No. It, it's exactly what Barry Weiss said. Ideology, agenda, we can't print that. God damn, if we print that, Trump can use it against Biden. And we can't have that, this is an election year. But could you imagine 450? Folks, that's more than Minneapolis, and it looks like Somalia. But not an article. No, 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 no. We're not going to let you fucking use that for politics. Because that's all they think about. And I'm not using it for politics. I'm using it for what in the actual fuck is going on.
that you think that is free speech. That BLM and Antifa are fighting white supremacists that weren't there, by the way, unless buildings are white supremacists. Are buildings white supremacists? And I just didn't know it. Maybe they are. I mean, we have upward thrusting buildings. They're patriarchic. Did we say that? Yeah. Yeah, we did say that last podcast. So Liz Peak covers some interesting shit because nobody's going to talk about it. All right. They, they are talking about a lot how their boycott a fucking Goya backfired. It's like Christmas over that motherfucker. People have never even bought that shit or buying it. I only had a couple Puerto Rican friends that actually um, bought that. You know, the other Latinx, I guess we have to say now they didn't, but I had a couple buddies in the army that bought it. But yeah, it's like Christmas. But she talks about really the polls show Americans, no, they're, they're not buying this shit. Now, the left will have you believe that cancel culture isn't a real thing. Judd Legum, the founder of Think Progress and former Hillary Clinton campaign staffer, tweeted, Cancel culture is something that does not exist, but is a very popular concept among people who do terrible things and don't like being held accountable. Well, you can tell that to Goya CEO Bob Anunawe for his mere presence and praise of the Trump administration's Hispanic Prosperity Initiative yesterday. Powerful left-wingers, including Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, are now calling for boycotts of his incredibly successful company. Now, not only is AOC attempting to destroy a Hispanic success story, she's spitting in the face of someone who has likely helped her and her constituents get fed. In the past few months alone, Goya has donated millions of pounds of food to U.S. food banks, including 100,000 pounds to the New York City Food Bank to be distributed to families in need during the COVID-19 pandemic. The Goya CEO, Bob Ununawe, joins me now. Bob, this does not surprise me at all. I was so gratified to see you at the White House uh, and, and, and speaking candidly about what your thoughts are about what the president has tried to do here in this very difficult time for the country. What's the real cause of all this backlash we're seeing against you and your company today. Well, thank you, Laura. Great to be with you. Uh, the United States is the largest Hispanic country in the world be, after Mexico. And every ethnicity is present in this country, from South America to Central America to Spain to every country, every Hispanic country on the planet. Goya has been in business for the last 84 years. Since 2000, the U.S. Hispanic population has doubled. The Goya brand is extremely iconic, and it means something to every different ethnicity. That's very powerful. And that can't be taken down, I don't believe, uh, in a moment. But the fact of the matter is our, our country is very divided. I'm 66 years old. And I've been through uh, a few decades, let's say. And in my lifetime, I've never seen the country more, unfortunately, divided. I like the saying, there are those who are born to love and to build and others to hate and destroy. And unfortunately, there's a movement of 
hatred and destruction. Who wants to see houses of worship burn? Businesses that people have put their whole life savings into and to build a business and to only have people come along and destroy it. They have no right to do that. And we have to stand for prosperity. You know, we are the most prosperous country in the world. Pre-COVID, we were the lowest Hispanic and black unemployment in history. And even post-pandemic, uh, we are still the most powerful and most prosperous country in the world. So, there's so we have to remain positive. We have to continue to build and grow. Bob, will you, ever, will you be one of these you know, big figures in American life? You've seen it in Hollywood. You've seen it in sports. Who is forced to apologize for standing with President Trump or next to President Trump? Will you do that? The White House has an initiative on Hispanic prosperity, and I was asked by the White House to attend a roundtable and even be part of a new commission, which is yet to be named. But, of course, you know, when you're called to service, to serve our country in whatever way possible, I'm blessed to have the fortune of uh, being a head of a con company that uh, is iconic. And so... So the answer is no. Can... The answer is no. You're not going to apologize for standing next to President Trump. Hell no. And, Bob, what do Hell you no. say finally to young Hispanics uh, in the United States, maybe going to college or maybe coming right out, who want to start a business and who are being pulled into this direction of socialism or, or, or just destruction of American history or tradition? Just very quickly, a message from you, given your experience to them. By 2050, the United States uh, Hispanic population will be one-third of the population. So we have before us a path, and we can either take a path of building and loving and producing, being prosperous. And that's where my grandma came at 18 years old from Spain, to the land of opportunity to live the American dream and to prosper. Hispanic businesses are growing at three times the rates of any other businesses, and so the future is in our hands, and we have the opportunity to either uh, do well or to destroy. Yeah. And let's socialism, do well. socialism or capitalism, freedom or subjugation. I mean, it's a pretty, pretty obvious choice. But, Bob, I just really want to thank you for standing up for what you believe in and your incredible success as a CEO and as a charitable um, uh, officer of that CEO and everything that you've organized for people in need. It, it should be held up as an example to the rest of the country. And I want to thank you personally, and I know all our viewers do as well. Thank you so much. I want to thank you, Laura. God bless you. All right. And, and now we have the battle of the fucking BLMs. I can't even report how many have gotten All Lives Matter. Um, my favorite is this one. Somebody decided, and let me make sure the audio, let me just play it. Um, probably better than splicing it in. Um, somebody decided, hey, I am done with this. Do they say words? Let's see if they said words. They didn't, but somebody put um, pre-born black lives matter. Because people are just done with this stupid shit. If you cared about black lives, you care about black on black and the abortions that are a gen genocide. And then... Now we have the one at Trump Tower. Last podcast, they literally put down uh, a Trump flag. This one, 
somebody just splashed red paint across the fucking thing and just destroyed it, which I thought was just hilarious. And everybody keeps on coming back with the same statements the left said. Isn't this free speech? Another one, Guy Monzello. After all the rioting, looting, property damage, killings, rapes, arson, shooting, mob violence, and statue toppling, some paint on the road has turned the resistance into pearl-clutching, feigning couch bitches. <laughs> and then my favorite. Well, two of my favorites. It was mostly peaceful red paint. And it's the only property insurance will pay for it. Because remember, that's what the extreme left was saying. Well, everybody has insurance. But black lives can't have insurance when the cops kill them. That was statements that our media was saying. And we were supposed to eat that shit. And in Portland, it's just out of control. Uh, Annie NGO, over the weekend, Mass Antifa in Portland opened a black man's car door during a violent protest. Watch how we responded to them. I'm going to play that, and then I'm going to play an, a random Asian guy was on the streets, and Anifa beat the fuck out of him because they thought he was Andy Angio. But yeah, Mayor Wheeler, it's a federal agents. Who are you? Why the middle finger? What's your name? Who the fuck are you? Who are you? Why, uh, hey, why are you Do you here? think that I'm Andy No? Is that what you're thinking? <laughs> you racist cunt? <laughs> Would you like to see my face? Sure. But I'm fucking sick of this. This is the second time this has happened to me. The third time this has happened to me at protest. Yeah. I feel like you're doing it intentionally. Then. Just, be, just be proud that you're not Andy. Andy, what's wrong? Yeah, just be proud no, that no, you're not No, no, I'm super proud that I'm not Andy. Well, but I'm really right. irritated that you can't stand here no, and put your middle fingers in my fucking face. You're a bunch purpose. of racist cunts and you got to stop. Think about why you're here. Think about why you're here. If you're not Andy, then you wouldn't be antagonizing. You know exactly what you're doing. And you wouldn't be you I fucked it up. Sorry about that. I, I put that in the mix, so I, I guess it, it, we're not going to be able to hear that one. Um, but it's all over the place. People literally are just laughing their ass off because people are just getting done with it, all right? They're just done. You, you don't have the right because you're part of a movement to just beat up anybody you want and damage property. People are done. I could play all sorts of new videos that are cropping up of people protecting things, people just saying, done. Because the left, I mean, the list just keeps going on. Man accused of murdering an 11-year-old at a July 4th barbecue in D.C. Released because of coronavirus. Chicago suffers another weekend of violence. 47 people have been shot. Seven fatally over the last weekend. 47. New York. Um, well, no, let me play Lightfoot. Here's Lightfoot talking about Chicago because, once again, there's all this violence. Last time she ble- blamed the coronavirus. 
Guess who she blamed this time? I want to also ask you about the violence this past weekend in Chicago, at least 60 shootings. The president jumped all over this, comparing it to saying that the city is worse than Afghanistan. Your reaction as you're trying to come to grips with all of this, of course. Well, look, um, if you go back over many years, um, President Trump has said a lot of disparaging things about the city of Chicago. He likes to use us as a, a political punching bag. But if the president was really committed uh, to helping us deal with our violence, he would do some easy things. One is he would push for universal background checks. He would push for an assault weapons ban. He would push to make sure that people who are banned from getting on airplanes can't get guns. This is the kind of thing that federal leadership could do. But as long as we are challenged with having states surrounding us, notably Indiana, um, that has very lax gun laws where somebody can drive across the border and literally load up a vehicle with military-grade weapons and bring them back to the states, to the city of Chicago, we're going to continue to be challenged. We're doing an all-hands-on-deck strategy. We're really focusing on the root causes of the violence. But fundamentally, we have too many illegal guns on our street, and that is a direct result of a failure of federal leadership, which is why we need change in November, and we need the kind of leadership that Joe Biden is going to bring to our country. Mayor Lightfoot, thank you very much. for Thank you. In the midst of everything that's happening there to be with us today, we really appreciate it. No, Chuck Todd, there are no biased editorial opinions during the daytime when Andrea and Mitchell broadcast. And you notice every question is just a toss-up. That's what we call a softball interview. Here, attack Trump. Attack Trump. Here you go. Here's your time. Attack fucking Trump. And, and the worst part about all that... You can blame Trump all day long if you want to. There are no stricter gun laws than Chicago. You forgot the other talking point. It's Indiana's fault. They're getting the guns from Indiana. That's what you guys say, right? But it's just not her. New York City sees 15 shootings in 15 hours. Unless at least 17 people shot in New York City on Monday. That was three days ago. Six major cities that want... To defund the police have increased gun violence since they started it. Minneapolis, we know about. New York, we know about. Chicago, we know about. Louisville. The number of shootings and homicides in Louisville are on track to break the city's record. The city has seen a 40% increase in murders and a 107% rise in non-fatal shootings compared to last year. Los Angeles. According to LAPD, homicides rose 250% in the week that followed while shooting, and it has increased 56% from July 7th to July, June 7th to July 4th. 65 shooting victims and 12 homicides compared to previous 28 days. This equates to a respective of 92% and 140% increase. Defund them police though. Atlanta! And we talked about it. It's a fucking, it's so bad. The NAACP is saying, maybe you should resign to the mayor, because you can't handle it. Seattle, we can't get any crime statistics on it, warns of cuts to non-white police officers if defund the police passes. Seattle police say most non-white officers will be fired if the city cuts budget. Why? 
There's no definition of why they're doing it. That seems pretty fucking racist. BLM Plaza in D.C. declared a capitalism-free zone. BLM vendors hit the hardest. That's in D.C. where all these politicians and all these fucking reporters are capitalism-free. But they're not socialists. They're not Marxists. It's, it's social justice, Tony. Criminal investigation expanded in a district attorney who charged officers and Rayshon Brooks shooting and looks like he took illegal funds. Then we get into the churches. Man allegedly plows car into Florida church, sets it ablaze with pressures inside two other Christian churches and three Catholic churches burned over the weekend. They still will not release any information on why he did it. We can't find out why he drove his... We know, but we won't report it. Summer of Hate, Network Evening News, ignore five attacks on U.S. churches in one weekend. Statue of Virgin Mary set on fire and vandalized in Boston and New York. The only person that's covered it is Tucker Carlson. Eric, Christianity. Over the weekend, vandals in Boston torched a statue of the Virgin Mary outside a church. In New York, they defaced a statue of the Virgin Mary in front of a Catholic school. In Florida, a man drove his car into a church as it was preparing for Sunday Mass. He then dumped gasoline in the entryway and set the building on fire. In the state of California, a historic church was destroyed completely by flames as it prepared to celebrate its 250th anniversary. Local fire department suggested it may have had something to do with outrage from the mob directed at Junipero Serra. That was the founder of California's mission system. As churches burned and statues were defaced, former Democratic Party leader Howard Dean, the dumbest person ever to run the DNC, tweeted this. Unfortunately, Christians don't have much of a reputation for anything but hate these days, thanks to Franklin Graham and Jerry Falwell and other Trump friends. End quote. Eric Metaxas is a Christian. He's the author of the book, If You Can Keep It, The Forgotten Promise of American Liberty, and also of maybe the single best biography of Martin Luther. He joins us. Hi, Eric, thanks so much for coming on. So well, here you have the former head of the DNC attacking Christianity right. as a religion of hate and its disciples as haters. Imagine Howard Dean saying that about any other religion. What would the response be, do you think? Listen, you've got to give Howard Dean a pass. He's a jughead. You cannot take him seriously. Uh, Here's the issue. When you start to scapegoat Christians and you say it's because of them that these things are happening, unfortunately, you fall into the trap of being like the Emperor Nero when Rome burned. And, of course, uh, he could have done something about it, and he didn't. He blamed the Christians. It's very convenient. Uh, It's happening now. I think a lot of the nastiness that is being directed at these statues, uh, it really has to do with something deeper, Tucker. I, I hate to say it, but uh, there, there's something very dark. You saw this in the French Revolution. There was a hatred at the bottom of it of God, of any kind of authority. 
Um, and these people are drunk with the idea that they can, you know, somehow be an authority themselves, that they can seize power. Right. And if you really want to cut to the chase, you forget about statues of generals and things. You, you, you go right for God. You go right for uh, the Virgin Mary. My goodness, you go you go for churches. You cut to the chase. Uh, someplace uh, in Moby Dick, one of the greatest novels ever written by a great American, uh, he talks about Ahab, who's consumed with rage, wanting to strike through the mask. In other words, sort of to punch a hole in the sky and and murder God. That's really where the source of hatred is coming from. It's a yes. hatred of God and a sense of deep injustice. That's what we're talking about here. We're talking about something that goes way beyond Confederate generals. I think I think you're right. The acknowledgement of God suggests that you're not the ultimate authority, that there's someone more powerful than you and our leaders can't stand it. I do think, though, that Christian leaders play a role in this. I mean, Muslim leaders, to their credit, if they watched mosques burn and Islamic monuments be defaced, the Islamic Center in Washington, they would not put up with it for one second. They would say something. I don't see Christian leaders doing the same, and I don't know why. Well, I'll tell you why. There are many Christian leaders who don't understand the Bible. Um, when David killed Goliath, it wasn't like before he became a Christian and then he became a Christian and he repented. No, we celebrate David killing Goliath. There are many instances of Scripture where people fight. Uh, Elijah, the prophet, is sarcastic. That has been lost. There are many people, they've got a watered-down kind of Christianity. They're offended by Trump. They, they seem to think that being nice is what it means to be a Christian. Well, if, if someone is raping a family member and you sit there and you say, well, I'm going to pray about it, but I'm not going to try to, to stop right. that, it brings us really to Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer understood that the most Christian thing he could do was participate in a plot to kill Hitler, because he understood there were victims. When you know that there are people suffering, if you don't do something about it, you are to blame. And actually, interestingly, when Kristallnacht happened, Bonhoeffer knew that this attack on the Jews by these mobs, as far as I'm concerned, who were animated by the spirit of Antichrist, these were, these were not just political mobs. There's something deeper and darker. He understood course, that this attack on the synagogues, it was an attack on God himself there's a, there's a rage and a sense of envy that you know I don't like to use the word too lightly but there's something satanic about it there's something about it that is an unbridled roaring fury uh, and if you if you don't treat it in the way that it needs to be treated if, if you don't uh, deal with it uh, right. with with some force really then you are allowing other people to be harmed and any Christian leader, uh, who doesn't understand that this is uh, a Marxist, violent organization. This has nothing to do anymore with, with George Floyd and with, and with that they've hijacked this and everything they want to do, they want to burn down everything that has been built by good people over centuries, most of whom, of course, were Christians. You have a right, and we need to preserve the right, to live in this country as a faithful Christian, period. And, and our leaders should help, I think. Eric Metaxas, thank you for that analysis. Really smart. Always good to see you. Thank you. He keeps hitting subjects they don't want to cover. They unearthed one of his guys saying something that was racist. So that guy resigned, and Tucker talked about it on air. Then he said, well, 
I got a trap fiction vacation I'm going to go to, and the media literally talked about he's lying. He's just making it up. It was because he was pushed out. He had to go take a break because one of his guys was a racist. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Remember, Joy Matt Walsh, Joy Reid posted, post, posted, posted worse stuff under her own name for years, and yet MSNBC not only refuses to condemn her, but actually promoted her instead. Meanwhile, this guy, no one has ever heard of, shit post anonymously at Fox, trips all over itself to condemn it as a horrific event. And that's the mob. They get to do it. To our violence, more funny shit. This is Antifa. This was where it was. I fucked up. The black dude in the car who said to white Antifa, suck it. And then an Antifa guy getting arrested. Jesus fucking Christ. Every time these guys get arrested, they sure are little bitches. I want you to leave me alone. Go go about your business. This I'll go about mine. It's not our establishment. It's not your establishment. We require it's not a your establishment. to shop here. You can't require me to wear a mask. I've, I've told you ten times that I have a disability that prevents me from wearing it. You're telling me that you're not going to serve me because of that, correct? No. We That's told exactly, you that exactly we re- what you said. No. We reserve the right to refuse service to anyone. You can't. You can't refuse service to me because I have a disability. Well, don't tell me what I can and can't do. I just did. Well, you're wrong. No, I'm not. This is 511 in Tampa, just for everybody that's going to see this online. Oh, hey. Do you understand me? Do you understand me? What are you doing? Get the fuck out! You just chill away. 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 Is that somebody's phone there? Yeah, somebody dropped their phone. I just want to say that on stream. I have somebody's phone right now. Okay, so if someone dropped their Did anybody drop their phone over here? Did you see anybody drop their phone? Because, uh, I got a, is there a lost and found? Okay. 
I'm a Marine veteran. I'm not here to like start this shit. I'm just, I'm just observing. Okay? That's fucked up. Yeah, I see, I see. Can I go over here? Okay, stop, stop. Yeah, I'm, I'm going where they told me to go. Oh, no, they told me to go here. And then I had it separated because I wanted to show how Dems are promoting this shit and it's okay and they keep their violent rhetoric but the media ignores it. And then the media with Brian Williams and CBS just ranking this stuff up and Avalon from CNN just losing his shit and we wonder why there's violence. But I'm just going to put them together because the Dems and the media are one and the same. The Trump orbit has far more than its fair share of felons. Many of them out of prison only after sucking up to the president. Now, there is one notable exception, but first, the tale of the tape. Campaign Chairman Paul Manafort is a felon. National Security Advisor Michael Flynn, a felon. Political Advisor Roger Stone is a felon and just the latest beneficiary of Trump's presidential gift to loyalists, a commutation of his 40-month sentence. Even though one of his prosecutors testified they'd been pressured to go easy on Stone because of his relationship with Trump. Stone lied to Congress, tampered with witnesses, was the campaign's primary conduit to WikiLeaks, and said he hoped to be rewarded for not rolling over on Trump. Not even Nixon rewarded his henchmen this way. But sucking up to Trump has proven to be an effective way of getting the president to spring you early. From Sheriff Joe Arpaio to Eddie Gallagher, the Navy SEAL court-martialed for killing civilians, corrupt Governor Rod Blagojevich to Dinesh D'Souza, who subsequently made a movie comparing Trump to Abraham Lincoln, which is bonkers. But right now, of all of Trump's felons, only one is still actually in prison. That would be Michael Cohen. And what makes him different? Well, he spoke out against Trump after years of being his ruthless enforcer. And now, after a furlough, he's back in prison. Why? Now, some thinks it was this photo of him eating outdoors, violating his house arrest. But that's not it. According to Cohen's lawyers, it's to stop him from publishing a tell-all book about Trump before the election. Now, Cohen was suddenly sent back to prison after refusing to sign a document requiring no engagement of any kind with the media, including print, TV, film, and books. Now, this is what authoritarian regimes do. Stop the free speech of dissidents. I think there's something about this uptick in crime. Let me make something super clear for everyone here having this question. The New York City Police Department has not been defunded. Um... Even with these budgetary changes that were proposed in city council 
A, they're not fully enacted. B, they aren't a real $1 billion in cuts. Um, and C, it's not really, it, like, these cuts aren't really real. And, again, they haven't even happened yet. Literally have not even happened yet. So keep in mind that this uptick in crime that's happening right now is with a $6 billion New York City Police Department budget. So our $6 billion, up to $11 billion, but our $6 billion budget has not prevented this uptick in crime. Um, we have funded more and more. We have shoved more and more and more money every single year into the NYPD, $6 billion. And it has not prevented this uptick in crime. So why, but let's back up. Why is this uptick in crime happening? Let's really think about it. Well, this uptick in crime, you know, the NYPD themselves have um, have told a story that's disproven by their own data. Uh, at first, the NYPD, they, they went out and they said, okay, this uptick in crime is happening because of bail reform, because of all of these reforms that we had now. Wait, but they just released data a couple weeks ago that showed that out of almost all the people who have been found to have kind of committed crimes, etc., almost none have been re-released um, due to the bail reform. Like their actual crime data from the NYPD, not even independent data, disproves their what they're what they're saying. So why is this uptick in crime happening? Well, let's think about it. Do we think this has to do with the fact that there's record unemployment in the United States right now? The fact that people are at a level of economic desperation that we have not seen since the Great Recession? Maybe this has to do with the fact that people aren't paying their rent and are scared to pay their rent. And so they go out and they need to feed their child and they don't have money. So you maybe have to, they're put in a position where they feel like they either need to shoplift some bread or go hungry that night. Um, maybe it's the fact that unemployment provisions have not been given to everyone. Maybe it's because of the fact that people have some people still haven't gotten their stimulus checks yet. And we should be dealing with the racism that is in our country, to which the president speaks to, because he has a base of supporters who are very anti-immigrant and uh, white supremacists. That's who. That's the. A lot of his base, and that's who he speaks to. So the divisiveness continues. So we should be focusing on the things that we need to focus on. In a stripped-down model of lockdown content, Black Americans have seen their principles completely delegitimized. Noah looked directly into his phone and spoke from deep in his soul for 18 minutes. Police in America are looting black bodies. Not chasing laughs, chasing life. When you are a have. And when you are a have-not, you see the world in very different ways. George Floyd and the dominoes of racial injustice has been viewed more than 9 million times on YouTube alone. I'm not afraid to make shows that have no laughs. I'm not afraid to make serious shows that speak to the issues and communicate honestly what I'm feeling and what society may be experiencing. We've made some shows at The Daily Show that literally have no jokes. There are some days I've come into the office and said to my team, Hey guys, there is nothing 
funny for people. This is not even a moment to try and find the funny. There is never a right way to protest, and I've said this before. There is no right way to protest because that's what protest is. But less concerned about humor than he is with our humanity. This was among the most moving and compelling pieces of content you've put out there, and there's not a laugh in it. That's fine. There's not always going to be a laugh. It doesn't happen by accident. The president's decision to go deep on race as we head into this election is not sitting well with voters. A new ABC News Ipsos poll shows a majority of Americans, 67 percent, do not approve of how he is handling race relations. An ad by the Republican group The Lincoln Project compared Donald Trump to former Alabama governor and veteran segregationist George Wallace back in the 1960s. Indeed, any look through the archives proves to you there are echoes, similarities between what we're hearing now and what we heard from Wallace back then. The most important thing in our country is uh, uh, is maintaining law and order. Right now, I think the nation needs law and order. I would uh, use the office of the presidency to restore order in the di District of Columbia uh, if I had to call federal troops into this city. When rioting and looting broke out in our nation's capital, I quickly deplored. I came in, I deployed the National Guard very quickly. And I would give my moral support to the police in the country. I will always support the incredible men and women of law enforcement. I don't regard myself as a racist, and I think the biggest racists in the world are those who call other folks racist. The word is so overused, it's such a disgrace, and I can tell you I'm the least racist person there is in the world. John Meacham uh, is our guest for this segment. Uh, John, what demographic is the president chasing here are we suddenly producing by percentage more people who feel the wrong team won in the civil war i don't think there are more and in fact i think it's shrinking uh ever more uh it's remarkable again that it's taken this this long to be able to say that but they are devoted uh they are vocal uh and they vote but remember, even if he is defeated, the forces that elected him and the forces that gave George Wallace, whom you just showed, Wallace got 13.5% of the popular vote in 1968 and carried five states on a segregationist platform 50 years ago. So, and the 1968 ended a, a, a year of great chaos with a Nixon plus Wallace, 55% of the country voted for Nixon or Wallace. So if, if you believe deeply in redeeming the country for a time from Trump, you have to be devoted to this campaign and you have to work perennially to understand what should truly make us not only great but good. Why do they get away with it? Can anybody explain that to me? I don't understand how they can get away with that kind of rhetoric, especially AOC. How the fuck is she not laughed off the planet? Loaves of bread and shit. Shut the fuck up. Anyway, that's our front section. We're going to move into our wokeness now, without a music break. Uh, unless I got something good to listen to. I don't think I do. I think I'm pretty short on sound bites of late. Let's see. Uh, anything good in here? Do -do 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 -do. Let's try uh, Liberty Hangout. I'm not afraid to be an American. 
My wife loves this chick. We'll listen to that as our little music interlude, and then we'll come into our woke section, and you'll hear a soundbite of anti-pedophile, or pedophile, as they say in Ireland, Scotland, and Britain. And uh, they're assaulted by Antifa, because I guess pedophiles are okay? I I don't know. Dear Black Lives Matter, I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed to be white. I am not ashamed to be a conservative. I am not ashamed to support our president. And I am not ashamed to support our country. I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed to be a Christian. I am not ashamed to believe in traditional marriage. And I am not ashamed to believe God made men to be men and women to be women. I will not apologize for the color of my skin. I refuse to feel guilty for things I have never done. I refuse to be told that I need to feel sorry for crimes that I have not committed. I have done nothing to you and have nothing to be sorry for. I will not virtue signal to you and I will not sympathize with you. I am Caitlin Bennett and I am only responsible for my own actions. I will not apologize for believing in Jesus Christ. I will not apologize for calling him my Lord. I believe that Jesus suffered for our sake so that we may have life. I am nothing without the Holy Trinity and the only one I will apologize to is the Lord for my sins. I will not sympathize with your hatred of God and will instead pray for your soul. I will not apologize for being a conservative. I will not apologize for supporting the nuclear family, for supporting traditional gender roles, and for supporting Western values. I will not apologize for supporting free speech, the free market, and the right to self-defense. You want to take these things away from me, and therefore I feel no sympathy towards you. I believe in freedom and have nothing to feel sorry for. I will not apologize for believing a marriage is between one man and one woman. I believe that raising children is necessary for passing down the truth to future generations, and they need to be raised by a mother and a father to do so. I will not sympathize with your hatred for the nuclear family and do not feel sorry for entering into a loving marriage with my wife. I will not apologize for supporting my president I voted for Donald Trump in 2016 and will vote for him again in 2020. This does not make me hateful and does not mean I don't value your life. I support President Trump because I love my country, I love my family, and I love my neighbors. I support President Trump because President Trump supports me, and he supports you, too. I will not sympathize with your hatred for President Trump and do not feel sorry for voting for him. I will not apologize for attending church. I believe that entering God's home each week and receiving the Eucharist is essential for our salvation. I am nothing without the sacraments and I will not sympathize with your animosity towards the church. I will not apologize for proudly standing up for what is true, and I will not apologize for starting the website libertyhangout.tv so that I can freely speak my opinions without having to feel persecuted and censored by yours. I will not apologize for proudly standing up for Jesus Christ, and I will not apologize for starting the website 
libertyhangout.tv so that I can freely speak the gospel without having to feel persecuted by you. I will not apologize for loving the United States of America. I will not apologize for saying this is still the greatest country on earth and founded on the greatest ideals. I will not apologize for supporting life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I will not apologize for standing for the national anthem. I will not sympathize with your hatred for our country and do not feel sorry for waving our flag. I will not apologize for believing that God made men and women as they are. I will not apologize for believing that we have different roles, different behaviors, and different biological makeups. I will not apologize for believing that we were made to complement one another and become one flesh through marriage. I will not sympathize with your lies that mankind was made any other way. I love people of all colors and do not need to go out of my way to give into your lies to prove it. I am not a hateful person, but do not need to give into your demands in order to show it. Nothing I say will change your mind, and I simply don't care. I know what I am and don't need to lie about what I believe in in order to gain approval from you. I love people of all beliefs and all backgrounds and do not need to abandon my own beliefs to prove it. It does not make me a hateful person to believe in the Word of God. Praying for Christ to knock at your door is the greatest act of love and nothing I say will change your mind and I don't care. The only one that I need to seek approval from is God, not you. I am, I am not ashamed, ashamed I have and have nothing to, to feel, feel sorry, sorry for. Turn it up. Shit up front. Uh, 
I I always lump it together because I once again they believe a map minor attractive person is not a crime. California music instructor gives semen tainted flutes to students sentenced for 18 years in prison. He jerked off on the flutes and then handed to the students. What the fuck? But I could say what the fuck for Netflix. The Babysitter Club reboot features a nine-year-old transgender kid. You see how it goes together? It's like peanut butter and jelly, which is racist, but it is what they do on the left. Then you have articles like this. Longing to escape to the countryside with your queer girlfriend? You're not alone. It's called a cottage core, cottage core trend. Where popular queer people go out and act like white people. But it's not disparaged because they're gay. They get a check mark on the intersectionality scorecard. Dead to me bisexual storyline epitomizes casual queerness, which is so important, I guess. J.K. Rowling handprints vandalized after she opposes transgender ideology. They put a pride flag and poured blood all over it. Because she had wrong think. UK's biggest cervical cancer charity shuts down disgustingly transphobic lie that only females get cervical cancer. Let's do this again, boys and girls. Matt in Oregon, you do it for me. That's right, Matt in Oregon. If you got a dick, you're a boy. If you got a JJ, you're a girl. So if you're a girl dressing like a boy, you're still a girl. Because you got a cervix. Joe's Cervical Cancer Trust, where where a hashtag is trending that raises the issue of gender identity and cervical health. At Joe's, we want to ensure everyone with a cervix has access to information and support they need to attend. Cervical screening, regardless of their gender identity. I'm not going to read the comments. Transphobes, blah, 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 blah. You're the same people that get pissed off because people won't screen them because they don't want to be treated. And they tell their doctor, I'm a boy. So then they treat them like a fucking boy. And then they're pissed because they didn't get their pap smear. Well, boys don't get pap smears. Boys' pap smears are STT tests where they shove a cotton swat up your cock. Never had it. Heard it kind of sucks. But these people, I was a doctor in this film. I'm going to read some because it's just absurd. In the film by the Fox Fisher, it's vital to get the message out. Cervical cancer is rare and treatable if caught before screening. Anyone with a cervix at risk, this includes cis women with a cervix, including those with neo-vaginas for vaginal agenesis. What the fuck's a neo-vagina? Is that a fake vagina? This is what good trans-friendly healthcare looks like. It's very simple. Most people get cervical cancer women, but trans men and some non-binary and intersex people can also be at risk. That's not just more inclusive. It's actually more accurate. No! What's more accurate is women have cervixes. Men don't. So why don't we classify people as, I pretend to be a woman, but I got a dick. Or I pretend to be a man, and I got a vajayjay. Once I get the operation, I'm a woman because I no longer have a dick, and I'm a man because I no, no longer have a fucking vagina. But even then, your fake pocket pussy made out of flesh doesn't have a cervix. 
or fallopian tubes or any functioning shit. I don't care that guy believes he can start doing fallopian transplant. You and I both know if it's hard to get a heart to stick in, how are you going to get female junk to sit in a fucking male body and go, okay, I'll hang out here. Fucking moon bats. Let's go to fucking everybody's racist. we got some good shit today. Sharpton and then Nick Cannon. Sweet Georgia Brown. What the fuck? Everything is racist. Again, portraying your complete misunderstanding of how government works in this country. Public schools are primarily funded by states and localities, and what federal funding they must get must be approved by Congress, not by decree from a despot wannabe in the Oval Office. Your insistence that public schools are be forced to reopen isn't just self-serving and dangerous, it's racist. Luckily for the American people, Mr. President, you don't have the power to force any public schools open. And if you still don't have a grasp of how governmental authority is split three and a half years into your term, it's time voters teach you a valuable lesson at the ballot box. That mel- melanin comes with compassion. Melanin comes with soul that mm-hmm. we call it. We call it soul. We soul brothers and sisters. That's the melanin that connects us. Right. So the people that don't have it have are are a little and I'm, I'm gonna say this carefully <laughs> are a little less and 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 where the term actually comes from because I'm bringing it all the way back around okay. to, to Minister Farrakhan to where they may not have the compassion or the the when they were sent to the mountains of Caucasus when they when they didn't have the power of the sun that was that the sun then started to deteriorate mm-hmm. them so then they're acting out of fear they're acting out of low self-esteem they're acting out of a, a deficiency mm-hmm. so therefore the only way that they can act is evil the only way they can they, they have to rob, steal, rape, kill, and fight or flight in, okay. or, in order to survive. Exactly. So then these people who didn't have what we had, and when I say we, I speak of the mm-hmm. melanated people. Right. They had to be savages. They had to be barbaric. They had because they're in these Nordic mountains. They're in these rough uh torrential environments mm. so they they're acting as animals right so they're the ones that are actually closer to animals now before i you know sharpton fuck sharpton sending kids to schools racist yeah suck a fucking bag of dicks but before i get to canon understand that's not racist in our society this a catherine heritage interview with the president this is racist our media better said. Let's talk about George Floyd. You said George Floyd's death was a terrible thing. Terrible. Why are African Americans still dying at the hands of law enforcement in this country? And so are white people. So are white people. What a terrible question to ask. So are white people. More white people, by the way. More white people. Stating fact is racist. Now, What's the difference between a normal president and Trump? 
most presidents would never say that. They say, we're going to have to work with this, da da da. They always kowtow, bend the knee. He didn't. And because they parsed every word he ever said, they say he's a fucking racist. So that was instantly just the hugest things. But literally saying, melanin-less people are savages, unintelligent, less than. That's not racist. He got fired not for saying those words. He got fired. Here's Viacom, and that's why the left-wing entertainer Nick Cannon. Viacom CBS condemns bigotry of any kind, and we can categorically denounce all forms of anti-Semitism. We have spoken with Nick Cannon about an episode of his podcast, Cannon Class, on YouTube, which promoted hateful speech and spread anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. While we support ongoing education and dialogue in the fight against bigotry, we're deeply troubled that Nick has failed to acknowledge or apologize for the anti-Semitism. Not the racism. Anti-Semitism. That's America. Right there. That's America. That was not on any of the fucking liberal fucking pundits. You didn't see it out of Maggie Haberman. She tweeted that Catherine Heritage, the president asserts that more white people are killed by police than black people. Yeah, no shit. That's true. That's factually true. Statistically and everything, it's true. This is all a lie. It's a trope. It's just done for political purposes to rile up dissent in the country. It's not a factual thing that blacks are killed more than police. WAPO has to do it. They have to put the numbers out. But that's not racist, what Nick Cannon said. There are people like Kanye West, Abdul-Jabbar. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar said you cannot be racist and anti-Semitic at the same time or something like that and be against anti-Semitism. But he shared a Farrakhan. They all share a Farrakhan. He is a universally renowned racist. That's what I tweeted all day. Universe, nothing will happen about what he said. Hannah, Nicole, whatever the fuck, 1619 Project, she just got a Pulitzer for saying the same thing. We're less than, uneducated, because we don't have melanin, we're savages, because we're so fucked up. That's the shit that BLM pushes. But Team Vogue explains, systemic racism in sleep. Yeah. So sleep is racist. Nick Cannon, not racist. Brittany McNamara highlighted the issue on Friday in Teen Vogue, a story about Fanny Sosa and Neville Acosta, the creator of Black Power Naps, described on his website as a sculptural installation, vibrational device, and curational initiative that reclaims laziness and idleness as power. It's been... Ex- uh, it, I'm not even reading it. Fuck that shit. Sleep's racist. Just get that through your head. Nick Cannon? Not racist. Los Angeles time. It's time to cancel the star-spangled banner and go to lean on me. Yeah, lean on the people that are working to finance these riots. That, that makes sense. Lynn manuel M- Miranda... 
He's fucked up because he did Black Hamilton, which was woke as fuck six weeks ago. And now, that shit's fucked. Professor says those who support cops are racist. A Creighton professor offered to fix the news headline about Black Back of the Blue rally and to read White Supremacist Rally. He was forced to delete his account. University training teaches students to confront personal relationship with white supremacy. Nick Cannon, not racist. Outright racial shit that white supremacists say about black people, he said about white people. I'm going to keep going back to it. Georgetown Senate publicly condemns students for rejecting BLM. There's that McCarthyism. Article. No shit. Real article. Accelerating their advantage. How white students use college sports to get further ahead. You go through this whole thing and they don't talk about football, basketball, or anything. They show lacrosse. Truth. The whiteness of college athletic isn't unique to Princeton or the Ivy League. We know across Division 1, 2, and 3, about 72% of college athletes or women are white. And 64% are men. And sweet googly goo. That's the demographics of the fucking country, you jackholes. Math's a tricky fucking thing. CDC's employee call out for agency's toxic culture of racial aggressions. More than 1,200 current employees of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention have signed a letter calling for the federal agency to address ongoing recurring acts of racism and discrimination. Nowhere in this article does it say anything about actual acts of racism and discrimination. It's triggers. Nick Cannon, though, not racist, but you saying it. Police say Texas A&M student who found racist notes media went crazy about he put the fucking shit on his car himself. Just another one. They got a video. The guy wasn't very smart because there was a fucking security camera right fucking there. And then we have the mother of all, you got to be kidding me. This is the federal government. They paid $3 million for this fucking shit. NASA did it. This is quite a thread and even more interesting one after seeing the Smithsonian graphic alerting everyone to signs of whiteness and white culture such as rugged individualism, the nuclear family, and the belief that hard work is key to success. Christopher Rufo, director of Discovery Institute Center at Wealth and Poverty, was sent documents for diversity training from the U.S. Treasury Department. An employee whistleblowed. The training was co-sponsored in June by the Office of Minority and Women Inclusion. And a navigation guide was intended to facilitate conversations following Joint Federal Financial Agency OMWI event beyond words, race, work, and allyship among the George Floyd tragedy. Here's his thread. Critical race theory is spreading rapidly through the federal government. Last week, a whistleblower sent me a trove of documents about divisive diversity training at the Treasury Department. What I discovered is deeply disturbing and an affront to equality. Buckle up. The training is called Difficult Conversations About Race 
and calls on white employees at Treasury, Federal Reserve, FDIC, CFFB, NCUA to pledge allyship among amid the George Floyd tragedy. The goal is is explicit to convert everyone in the federal government to anti-racism. We already have laws that make them be anti-racist. Unless you're Nick Cannon. Navigating guide for difficult conversations about race in a troubling time. To begin with, the trainers set the ground rules that claim that virtually all white people contribute to racism and insist that all white employees must struggle to own their racism, accept their unconscious bias, white privilege, and white fragility. In here, white people struggle to own their racism. Virtually all white people, regardless of how woke, contribute to racism. You know, racism is judging a whole group in one fell swoop. You know that, right? Whiteness, which includes white privilege and white supremacy. It is imperative at this time, I'm reading slides, it's imperative at this time that people who are white invest in race-based growth and development on topics such as systemic racism, civil rights history, unconscious bias, inclusion, contemporary ideologies such as anti-racism, intersectionality, <laughs> there's your McCarthyism, white privilege and white fragility. Next, the trainers recommend white managers create safe spaces for listening sessions where black employees can explain what it means to be black and see their pain. Why employees must not fill the silence with their own thoughts and feelings. Don't you fucking think when I'm talking to you I'm black. That's called black supremacy. Here's from the slide. If you're a white manager in your organization, it's important to ask yourself, what is the right action for me to take? Be mindful of your own need to potentially fill the silence with your own thoughts and feelings, noting that this is rarely helpful. Just get the brainwashing in, drink that Kool-Aid, and shut your fucking mouth. But don't shut it too much, because silence is racist also. The trainers insist that whites hold fairly consistent narratives about race that don't support the dismantling of race, racist institution. They claim the expression, we should be more colorblind, and we've been made so much progress from the 60s, are in fact racist statements. <laughs> Employees are then asked to think obsessively about race throughout their daily lives. What is the racial mix of your 10 closet, closest friends? What percentage of the day are you able to be with people of your own race? How much of your day are you speaking about racism? How about ads? Who's in the ads? As you move through the day, what's the racial composition of the people around you? On your commute, at the coffee shop, at the gym, at your workplace. Yeah, you need to go to the bad side of town in fucking Chicago so you can get fucking murdered. Is that what they want? I mean, that might sound racist, but in Chicago right now, black-on-black crime's terrible. There's whole areas that I was told not to go to by a woke motherfucker. Woke! The trainers tell white employees they must provide unconditional solidarity for people of color. Whites don't get to decide when someone is being too emotional too rash, too mean, cannot 
protest if a POC responds to their oppression in a way they don't like. Actual thing. This does not mean I'd be on your side if you didn't get so angry. You don't get to decide when someone's being too emotional. Your allyship is not a favor that you can retract when someone responds to their opposition in a way you don't like. You just have to be there. Carry their shit after they loot it. Because looting is a sign of oppression, remember? What if a white employee disagrees? They will be told that white silence has been one of the most powerful detractors from real progress and social justice, and that whites must sit in the discomfort of their own internalized racism and white supremacy. Actual slide. Don't perpetuate white silence, given the demographics of this country. White silence has been one of the most powerful detractors from real progress and social justice. White people can feel badly, be scared, think that killing black people is awful. Then all male and or all white leadership teams shouldn't be allowed to continue that the educational panel didn't have any people of color or women, that the new class of interns is all white, or the myriad other examples of conscious or unconscious bias reactions. Everyone has a responsibility for bringing attention to this and for acting commensurate with the stated values of the organization and the federal government. Don't shy away from language like whiteness, racism, white supremacy, and allyship. There was a time when education talks and references to the topics might have been seen as inflammatory, generating negative responses, especially from white people. Our times now are requiring us to sit in the discomfort that the notions could cause and to be willing to address our own growth and responsibility. This is like liberalism in a nutshell. Shut your fucking mouth. During the training session, white employees are warned that this is not a place to get their feelings validated. Trainers tell them that people of color are not obligated to like you, thank you, feel sorry for you, or forgive you. So who's teaching this? Howard J. Ross, who has built the federal government, I'm sorry, $5 million for diversity training over the past 15 years. He's a white fragility guy. General Service Administration spent $3 million to him. NASA gave him $500,000 to say you're all a bunch of fucking racists and space should have been done by the black woman in that movie. This kind of shit is why all this looting, rioting, murdering, raping, fucking burning is okay. Because this is what's happening in corporate... And in federal government, by all the Obama hangovers, and nobody sees that, hey, this is bad. What are we fucking doing? And it leads to Utah College calls to drop Dixie from its name. New York Times. Upon further review, the real horror of Jaws isn't the shark. It's capitalism. New York Times opinion. Instead of a boat on the water, we've got heads in the sand. Jennifer Weiner on rewatching Jaws during the coronavirus pandemic. I found myself bracing for a Trumpian response for the police chief to say that he didn't take responsibility or to point out that almost all young people who do get attacked make complete recoveries. Actual opinion headline. The real horror of Jaws isn't the shark. It's the leader who initially values capitalism over saving lives. That kind of thinking gets us this. Mayor Paul Berdour, 
I've just been made aware that the following traffic sign is being displayed on Main Street. I have ordered that it be taken down immediately, and we're going to find out who the fuck did it. I apologize to Melrose, because somebody put all lives matter. Critical race theory gets us this. Players can no longer make the okay hand suggester in Call of Duty Modern Warfare. They went back and re- Coded it. And then you get your social media mob. It all ties together. Trump mob tries to cancel actress over rumor she's dating someone who likes Trump. Jody Comer may be seeing someone who has a different political opinion. It means she deserves abuse from the hateful left wing mom. At a time when people are being fired from their jobs for liking anti-BLM statements on social media, dating a Trump supporter might as well earn someone capital punishment. The Toronto Sun reported on July 9th that the British actor's reputation is being torched by angry social media mobs after rumor of her love life with a Trump supporter surfaced online. It's not true. And she spent all day, oh no, I wouldn't do that. Mob once again. Twitter censors photos of Goya Spices beans as sensitive content. Tell me, there's no, there's no fucking goddamn supervision in Twitter. Any little woke fuck can do whatever they want. I'm not even covering that somehow all blue checks got locked out and somebody hacked the site. How about Facebook? Radical left repeatedly consulted on Facebook's no oversight board. They're going directly to them. And then you get this. Triggered. Facebook uses microphone tool for workers to report microaggressions. Should come as no surprise that while progressive employees are given the chance to succeed, those who disagree with them are set up for failure. July 8th civil rights audit of Facebook released by former ACLU director Laura Murphy and civil rights law firm Relman Colfax discussed Facebook's latest tool to employees. The tool called the microphone was built to allow employees to anonymously report microaggressions. Not actual fucking, how, what microaggressions could you have there? Oh, I know, white people. Instagram removes mute white people sticker after backlash from the right. Yeah, you get a little button. You can mute it. it. I don't want to hear white people. Fuck white people. And then last but not least, because we have a... Well, we'll do it now. I'll bring it forward. The sun... Turn off air conditioning to reduce coronavirus spread, experts said. Now, that is some twisty intersectionality bullshit. So the coronavirus can be spread by your AC. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Mm, No. No. So we're going to do a quick soundbite of Florida COVID. We have found out in Texas and Florida, the spike, it's lies. They're actually reporting possibles where people weren't even being tested. I knew something was up with this, but liberal people in Austin and liberal people in Florida decided to jack the numbers up so they could play the game. And the game is only Jake Tapper has called out Cuomo. Because Cuomo rolled out a picture 
of this mountain and how great they've done. And now people are starting to say, oh, no, you didn't do good. And then we're going to just fucking, after this soundbite, nail mother fucking Newsweek and fucking S.E. Kiss My Ass Cup. The number of COVID cases in Florida is undoubtedly on the rise, but there's a potentially massive scandal brewing regarding the way hospitals, labs, and others are reporting the percentage of positive test results. Fox affiliate WOFL's Robert Guadarrama has been looking into this story, and he joins us now live from Orlando with the latest breaking details. Robert. Laura, you know, it takes a lot to surprise a journalist, but I was shocked when I heard this news today. So there's lots of confusion on many levels in reference to Florida's coronavirus numbers. We got tipped off today, uh, or yesterday that is, that the numbers didn't quite look right on the state's daily case report. So looking into the breakdown of test labs, I quickly noticed astronomical positivity rates. Now, mind you, Florida's COVID-19 positivity rate is just under 11%, but Dozens of labs reported as having 100% positivity, some only reporting positive cases, the negative column completely blank. So I asked myself, how could 100% of people testing at those sites test positive? I reached out to several major hospitals in our area, Orlando Health and the Orlando VA, confirming errors in their numbers on the report. So after several requests for comment, today the Florida Department of Health releasing this statement to me, reading in part, in recent days the department noticed that some smaller private labs weren't reporting negative test result data. The department immediately began working with those labs to ensure that all results were being reported in order to provide comprehensive and transparent data. Now these labs are required by the state to report all test results. But here's something else that adds to the confusion. A spokesperson for Lee Memorial Hospital, that's in the Fort Myers area, tells me that they believe there's a problem in the state's data gathering system because it is their understanding the negative results from their hospital were in fact submitted. So, Laura, more questions to be answered, but this news coming as so many Floridians are already questioning the numbers being reported by the state. Robert, fascinating. Thanks for the great job. We appreciate it. And joining us now is Dr. Charles Lockwood, Dean of the University of South Florida's College of Medicine. Dr. Lockwood, now before we get into the details of Florida's numbers, your reaction to what was just reported, labs with 100% positivity rates and others who aren't (laughs) reporting any negatives, uh, how damaging is that to the larger picture? You know, I, I am... I'm not totally surprised. On Saturday, the state did 143,000 tests. Um, when Governor DeSantis said that we were going to triple testing back in March to 30,000 tests a day, which is what the number was that was recommended by the uh, by the Harvard Global Health Institute for containment. I mean, people literally laughed. And on Saturday, we did 143,000 tests in one day. So that's a lot of tests and you're going to have some screw-ups when you have that volume of of testing going on, but that's pretty disturbing. Yeah, well, it doesn't inspire a lot of confidence. 
Yeah, and speaking of fear, the president is looking at his re-election prospects right now. He's looking at his approval rating down now in the low 30s on his handling of the coronavirus crisis. Uh, his campaign canceled the event yesterday, a rally that was supposed to be held in Portsmouth, right. New Hampshire. They said it was because of the weather, a beautiful day, I should point out, in Portsmouth, New Hampshire yesterday, perhaps worried about a repeat of Tulsa where the crowd was thinner than they hoped it would be. And then wearing the mask last night, yesterday during that visit to Walter Reed, is he sending signals, albeit months late, that perhaps he is concerned now about the coronavirus crisis? I, I wouldn't be ready to go that far here. I mean, he, you know, if you look at sort of his rhetoric about schools uh, and what needs to be done, he, he seems to continue to want to look past the current state that we're in. He continues to describe these things as embers. Look, Willie, I just, just look at how he spent his Friday. He went to Miami-Dade County, went to Doral. Miami-Dade County is the hotspot within the hotspot of the state of Florida. He didn't go to talk about the virus. He wanted to talk about Venezuelan politics as it, as it uh, impacts his presidential re-election. And then how did he end his day after traveling? And again, the hotspot of the hottest spot, he commuted Roger Stone's sentence. So, uh, you know, he, he seems to be to be someone that just either is too distracted to focus on the virus or just doesn't want to focus on it. But most of the agencies of the federal government have been starved of resources while being given more tasks and mandates. Even the writing of the checks proved hard this time. Countries like Canada and Germany sent out funds faster and more directly than the U.S., providing quick relief to their citizens. While Americans had to wait anxiously, navigate websites that didn't work, and apply again and again to get a response. The number of federal employees is smaller per capita than in the 1950s, despite the fact that real U.S. GDP is seven times larger. The government barely hires new recruits anymore. As the Brookings report notes, one-third of the federal workforce will be eligible to retire between now and 2025, and only 6% of federal employees are under 30 years old. You see, for almost half a century, politicians on the right have pursued a strategy of starving the beast. Anti-tax campaigner Grover Norquist explained, I don't want to abolish government, I simply want to reduce it to the size where I can drag it into the bathroom and drown it in the bathtub. Steve Bannon, the ideologist of the Trump revolution, made clear that his goal was the deconstruction of the administrative state. Guess what? It was already happening. Winning the fight against COVID doesn't require a huge bureaucratic apparatus. Hong Kong, Singapore, Taiwan and South Korea have relatively small governments, measured by government spending as a share of GDP. On the other hand, Denmark, Norway and Germany have also done very well, and they have relatively large states. But in all of these cases, government bureaucracies are well-funded, enjoy considerable autonomy, are not burdened with excessive rules and mandates, and they recruit intelligent people who are accorded respect for working in the public sector. In the United States, we have a culture set by Ronald Reagan, who, as head of the federal bureaucracy, joked, The nine most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. COVID-19 should be a wake-up call. America needs to rebuild its government capacity. The goal is not a big state or a small state, but a smart state. For now, what we have is just stupid. Yeah, they're spinning so fucking hard, they're hurting themselves. But as usual, every step of this trip has been lies. It's all they have is fucking lies. And here is S.E. Cup.
Remember, we've written, we've read about ten of her tweets, and I'm directly hitting her because she's an independent type person who, in Trump terror times, has been a total bias hack. Want to stay healthy? Wear a mask. Want to keep your family safe? Wear a mask. Want businesses to come back? Wear a mask. Want to go to a bar and restaurant beach soon? Wear a mask. Want your kids' school to open? Wear a mask. Want freedom again? Wear a mask. Been waiting weeks to take this to the beach and dive in, and now I feel inappropriately addressed for the occasion. Obsessed. Official alt. A book. And she's maskless on the fucking beach. And that just sums up the fucking left in a goddamn nutshell. Just sums them the fuck up. Do as I say, not as I do. Cuomo's great. And that takes us to our This Is America. Jimmy Fallon fawning over Cuomo. You were there for us. Joy Reid, RNC is apartheid. CNN, all in for Biden. Even his ads. CNN, Trump failed America. MSNBC, Biden's not holder to the base, yet Nets are covering up. Biden actually quoted Mao say fucking dung, a communist, because they're so spinny to help this motherfucker. They'll do anything. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the last soundbite. Like the media say when they are pushing living fake liberal agenda stories. And this is America in 2019. Governor Andrew Cuomo has shown such amazing leadership in helping guide the great state of New York and all of us New Yorkers through such a tough time. Uh, how, how, how are you? How, how's the family? How are the girls? I tell you, everything is is good. You know, uh, we went through hell and back, as you know, in New York. But we went from having, Jimmy, the worst infection rate in the country. We now have the best infection rate. Uh, so we really turned the corner. New Yorkers stepped up. They really did the right thing. They did the socially distancing. They stayed at home. And we uh, we tamed the beast here in New York. So uh, we just have to cross our fingers and hope that it stays there because, you see, the infection is now all across the country, and it's going crazy. And uh, we're just worried that the infection is going to come from the other states now back to New York, which would be a real tragedy. Uh, why do you think the... the, the the virus is going up in some states and going down in New York. You know, look, we had two different approaches from the beginning, right? You had the president of the United States basically denying that the virus existed. Uh, I believe he played politics with it. You had these other states rush to reopen like there was no problem. But there was a problem. It was a virus. And you can't deal with the virus politically. You had to be smart. You had to get it under control. Uh, I have to ask for a friend. They want to know, I won't say her name. She wants to know, what phase of dating are you currently in? Zero. I'm at phase zero on dating. Uh, this is, <laughs> there's no duration on phase zero. Yeah. Uh, wow. There is no automatic time that you go to phase one. You could stay at phase zero for months, by the way. I think New York City will be fully reopened before I get out of phase 
<laughs> Zero on date. <laughs> uh, I thank you so much for your leadership. You were there for us when we needed you. You still are there. Uh, thank you so much to Governor Andrew Cuomo. Well, I, I hope he has, but let's go back to that ad that you just showed about defunding the police. And so he's trying to uh, let people know that defunding the police means elimination of the police, which we all know clearly it doesn't mean. And so the strategy, Joy, he got 62% of the white vote last time. He needs about 7 or 8% increase in voter participation from his base to be competitive in those swing states. And so he's going to go full-on racism, full-on racist nativist tropes, and you'll see more ugly, disparaging ads like that. There's nothing unifying coming. It's going to get darker and darker. And what he's hoping to do is that it'll impel people to be fearful and vote for him because he's going to be the quote-unquote protector in the cultural war that's going on in the society. And so we have to convince those people that he's just going to make things worse and they can live a great life under a Biden administration. He is a false prophet and a false promise. But that's the move. He's going to go way uglier than he is right now. Yeah, I mean, you know, David, it does strike me that, you know, I've said this before, that, you know, the the Republican Party is sort of morphing into the Nationalist Party in South Africa in the 1980s, right? That it's will defend white America's privileges, it, but, you, but you have to be really afraid that, the, you know, the black people are coming for you, so you have to stick with us and stay with the team. It's a, it's a strategy. Um, but he, that strategy is then playing against a lot of truth that's coming out with Donald Trump. Running for president and the way he has been president has now prompted his own family member to come out, Mary Trump, his niece. Um, and NBC News has a piece called Sociopath, Clown, Eight Unflattering Anecdotes from Mary Trump's New Book. Quote, the only reason Donald escaped the same fate as Mary's uh, father, Freddie, is that his personality served his father, Fred's purpose. That's what sociopaths do. They co-opt others and they use them toward their own ends, ruthlessly and efficiently, with no tolerance for dissent or resistance. You were talking about the president now, who doesn't know what he's doing, who is not honest, and who cares about no one else other than himself. If you look at the uh, results in the United States as compared to other countries which also had a terrible problem, but then have crushed the virus. There's no other conclusion you can reach but that the incompetence of the Trump White House has lit the country on fire, and what the president is doing is retweeting a game show host saying the CDC is lying uh, and talking about how Joe Biden's ratings are down. He had his economic advisor on a television show yesterday saying, well, it's the Chinese communists uh, who have uh, done this to us. It is madness. Uh, but what we're seeing in the polling uh, and the evaluations of the president and his uh, matchups against Joe Biden is that a significant majority of the country is now recognizing that it's madness. So, John, what's the president's plan? What is the president or the White House's plan to get hospitalizations under control, get deaths under control, get those 35 states that are spiking this morning under control? Wait, is that a serious question, Allison? Yes, John, it is. I you am know actually that he has asking no... to, I mean, okay, forget the president. How about the White House? Do they have you any plan? You know that he has no plan. Does the White House the have a plan? The facts are so at odds with what the president is saying uh, that he doesn't have much uh, choice but to go to war against the science, go to war against the truth, go to war against the facts, and try to hope that in all the uh, confusion and um, uh, fog that that creates, that people have difficulty ascribing who's actually uh, at fault. Um, again, the country's on fire. The president's sort of waving his arms around and, and casting blame in various places. Uh, this is, uh, when you look at the overlay 
of the states, especially Republican-leaning states, states that we normally see red on election night on the map, that are now uh, moving into that real battleground category. Certainly, Florida has been a battleground for years, but Arizona and Texas and North Carolina, states with uptick in coronavirus cases, but also uh, very important to the electoral map, uh, certainly critical to Donald Trump's path to re-election. Uh, I don't know, John, if you can somehow in your mind game out how Donald Trump uh, wins the White House without a Florida or Texas and Texas in his column. Uh, I can't figure a path for him back back to re-election. No. Yes, uh, without a doubt. I also think just the, the as Arlette was saying, the contrast, right? I mean, look at Joe Biden wearing a mask at the end, saying stay safe and wear a mask after all those weeks of uh, Donald Trump refusing to do so uh, until this weekend when he went to Walter Reed of reasserting uh, to the American people about washing your hands and man- maintaining social distance. What I think you see here uh, that the campaign is trying to do is sort of like a public service announcement. Right. This isn't a traditional campaign ad. It's like a PSA because they want to present Biden as president, what a president Biden would be doing during this pandemic and how he would be communicating with the American public versus what uh, people see from Donald Trump every day. How badly uh, is he failing right now in dealing with the spiraling crisis? He's doing terribly. I mean, the president gets an F in terms of uh, the handling of this global pandemic. You see in some of these states uh, across the country, the cases are going up. He was rambling all over the place, uh, uh, not expressing coherent thoughts for the most part. And then secondly, he avoided the issue that is uh, uh, convulsing the country right now, uh, which is the coronavirus. This has now been in the United States uh, for half of a year. And the president uh, has not uh, uh, shown any indication in the last few days that uh, he's got a plan for ameliorating this brush fire. I've never seen a president uh, turn uh, the Rose Garden into a campaign rally in the way that President Trump did over the last uh, more than an hour. Uh, this this was obviously the campaign rally he wanted to have in New Hampshire that his campaign wasn't able to have. You can just go through uh, line by line, section uh, by section of what the president had to say here in, in almost the same fashion we do with the campaign rallies uh, to debunk, uh, you know, the myths, the lies. What a low energy speech from uh, this presidency, a lack of urgency uh, in terms of what his vision for the next four years uh, is kind of a r- rambling uh, incoherently. I thought uh, going at Joe Biden and this president uh, has has basically uh, failed the American public in terms of how he's doing uh, with the coronavirus uh, pandemic at every turn. uh, So they will turn away from him, which again shows this Rose Garden debacle, this completely inappropriate act, uh, you know, completely defying tradition on every level, total abuse of power, using the Rose Garden as a campaign event because you can't have your pitiful little rallies because people won't come. So you have a captive audience of reporters and cameras and you use it for politics. I'll say over and over again, not a perfect candidate, has his flaws, has his weaknesses, as all of us do, but the president's incredibly frustrated in that he cannot find an effective frame for Joe Biden. This is like the nightmare candidate for him. Another septuagenarian, relatively culturally moderate, conservative even, white guy. That is not what Donald Trump wanted to run against, and he is yet to. We're now in July, and the president does not know how to make the case against Joe Biden, and that was vividly on display yesterday in the Rose Garden.
They're trying to put Joe Biden in the same category with members of Congress who are progressive boogeymen and women that they've been using now for a couple of years. It, the label doesn't fit. Donald Trump knows that on Joe Biden, that he's a wild leftist, that he's a tool of the radical left. So instead, you get what we saw yesterday, which is this kind of hodgepodge, this matchup of incoherent attacks on Joe Biden and not really a frame that he can use going into November. Fucking meeting are hot goddamn garbage. So while this is all going on, and I save this all for the bad sides, all right, you have articles from Newsweek that teachers are writing their wills because they might be forced to go back to work and COVID, and it's dangerous. That That's what our medias do. Anything for Biden. New York Times smears Trump with Nazi insults upcoming rice stag fire the most dangerous time of Trump's rule this is just what Barry Weiss said they did an opinion piece calling for the end of fucking Israel yeah that's what they've done They have reporters writing, China will soon be the world's largest economy. It will be the first nation to reach that status, whose rise isn't built on colonialism, slavery, and genocide, but rather on hard work, good economics, and effective governance. This should earn China love, but it earns it hate in the West. Carlos Martinez. That's a real fucking thing, yo. Based on zero fucking facts. And then you have the Lincoln Project. The silent majority of this election are the millions of Republicans who will vote for Biden. Oh, are you sure on that? Because we got a whole lot of stories that are saying, "Mm -mm, not going to do it. North Carolina City votes to offer community reparations for black citizens. Asheville, North Carolina. That's the kind of shit that's coming out. And to other towns where you've elected a bunch of, well, they, they seem to be moderate people when you did it, and now they're all crazy. Yeah, the Republicans are really down with that. And then once again, in this crazy world we live in, where all this white fragility has come out, stories come out, National Museum of African American History. Go back to Barry Weiss, I hate linking to it. McCarthyism. Valuing hard work, being polite, objectivity are all aspects of whiteness. We're having a whole lot of this whiteness. You're white, and white's bad. And yet there's still people out there, and once again, last soundbite supposed to be our This is America, but before we go into a funny... Matt in Oregon sent me this. I believe it was last night, but I was asleep. This is what you all sound like, liberals. And this is from Barricade Garage. Last time I checked, this dude's black. Bro, you are so oppressed, bro. You're oppressed. 
I mean, yeah, I'm oppressed by the tax system, family courts, politicians, the Federal Reserve, law. Dude, I'm not talking about that, dude. I'm talking about slavery, dude. When my people oppress your people, dude. I'm talking about the oppression of everyone happening right now, and you're bringing up slavery. Dude, the media hasn't told me to care about anything else other than slavery, dude. You black people are victims to my superior white race, dude. My job as a white ally is to make sure other white people know how much better they are than blacks, dude. This is how we're going to help you guys out, dude. You literally sound like a white supremacist. Bro, I'm not a supremacist, bro. If I was really racist, do you really think I would remind you 24-7 how oppressed you are and how much more privilege my race has over your race, bro? Huh? Really, bro? If I was really racist, bro, I wouldn't be wearing these Black Lives Matter underwear, bro. I wouldn't have reported businesses for not having a Black Lives Matter mural, bro. If I was really racist, dude, do you really think I would constantly make you feel helpless against my race, bro? By constantly showing you how many times my race can your race, bro? <laughs> Come on, dude. A real racist would think we're all equal, but I have white guilt because I understand that black people are helpless without white people, dude. Oh, Charlie! Bruh, who is Charlie, bro? Yeah. I've been saying that from Jump Street. They sound like the white supremacist. They sound like the fascists because they're just one long stream of blacks can't do anything without us. And if you don't think that, you're a fucking racist. And they think it's a checkmate, but it's actually not working anymore because more and more Americans are going, fuck that noise. Not doing it anymore. So I wanted to end the show after all this pain and suffering was something funny, and this came from Burger King. It's real. The dude walks out of a cow butt. When cows fart and burp and splatter, well, it ain't no laughing matter. They're releasing methane every time they do. And that methane from the rig goes up through the atmosphere and pollutes our planet warming me and you. Yes, that methane not the past is a greenhouse gas that'll trap the sun's heat and change our climate too. Gee, is it hot in here or is it just me? So to change our emissions, Burger King went on a mission, testing diet, selling it up, produce their farts. That's a start. And another little question that it's felt fake, y'all suggestion, adding plenty grass so they can play their part. Must be me.
the tweet. Cow farts and burps are no laughing matter. They release methane, contribute to climate change. That's why we're working to change our cows' diets by adding lemongrass to reduce their emissions by approximately 33%. Eli the Pitbull, if you did some researches, the effect of methane released into the atmosphere from natural sources like cows are canceled out entirely by water vapor. Strike Burger King off the menu. Conrad, thank you. I've eaten my last Burger King meal. AKM, protozoal from lemongrass increased methane production because protozoa and methogenesis. So I'm guessing nobody researched this shit. Donald Avocado, food representative, Burger King food represents a new stage in human civilization in which food becomes an industrial product. Burger King food is junk. That's what's killing the climate. (laughs) Oh my God. These fucking people. It's a goddamn cult, man. It's a fucking cult. They're fucking scary, scary people. And you can't get away from them. They're so scary. They hurt my pancreas. Mmm. Well, that wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share with your family and friends. Send comments to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Foppodcast, gmail.com. You get the show on SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, Down, and PocketCast. Remember to check out the Twitter account at Fop Tony Reed. It is the 16th, so let's go for a Sunday or Monday, 19 or 20, depending on what I do this weekend. No, I can't do anything Sunday. Let's go with the uh, 20th. 20th of July, year of our Lord, 2020. We'll do another show. I hope y'all enjoy your weekend with your fam. Make sure you keep your head on a swivel. With the media the way they are, you're going to run into some Antifa eventually. They're going to keep on coming. This stuff's not going to stop until Election Day. And then after Election Day, as me and my wife have said, if Trump wins, the Democrats lose the Senate, something... Yeah, don't even go out. It's going to be hell on wheels out in this bitch, and they probably won't be able to do an inauguration. I don't know how they can secure Washington, but I doubt that's going to happen, because once again, media's all in, man. People don't research. They're all fucking sheep, and they're not paying attention. If anything we can do as normal in the middle of the road Americans is go out and start talking to people, normal people around you, your neighbors, and make them understand what BLM is, Make them understand this critical race theory and reject it. It is utter bullshit, and it is racist in itself. And make sure every time you see somebody do some Nick Cannon stuff, tweet about it. I've done about 10 tweets, because that's how they play this game. You can say horrible shit about white people. That's not racist. He got fired for Jewish. And I'd like to close how I started. If Barry Weiss isn't good enough for these liberals, go research some of her articles, folks. Mm. When liberals aren't liberal enough, we got a problem. Make sure you disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah yes. Tune back in Monday for another episode. And as always, thanks for listening. Take care. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. 
please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride makes every day count. Killer.